knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. On the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise. Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Cause a man with the touch of repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breezes blow. Crazy lady living in a bag, eating out of garbage bells, used to be a fag hag, such a dance to tango, skipped the life and dango, a zircon prince to seem to lost her senses. Down at the peep show, watching all the creeps, so she can tell her stories, took the girls back home. She went to the city and got so, so, so giddy, she had to get a pimp, she couldn't make it on her own. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge, I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder oh, how much Oh, yeah. Going Grandmaster under. Flash and the it's Furious like Five, 1982. And that was a theme piece three years after I had started the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx to try to combat all the gang violence, senseless violence that was driving people out of the city. In the 70s, a million people fled the five boroughs, most of them from the Bronx, that was burning down. And that's where this message came out of, the projects of the Bronx. And even though we're going to focus on the police killing and police shooting tonight up in Harlem, an extraordinary number of violent crimes have occurred just within the past 72 hours in the Bronx. And, you know, it's incredible. It almost seems like that the mayor and some of the other public officials and the police commissioner have become used to being like a Duncan yo-yo going from vigil to vigil, vigil to vigil. And what is it they're saying? Oh, it's all going to stop. It's all going to stop. This craziness, this madness, this violence. And yet... When Eric Adams was running for the mayoralty of the city of New York first in winning the Democratic primary by ranked choice voting, it took a while. And then when beating me in the general election, he said, you know, from day one, I'm going to have a plan put into place. And we're going to get those guns off the street. And we're going after those teenage gangbangers. And we're going to put a stop to this violent crime that has been paralyzing the city. Well, guess what, Eric Adams? I got a three-week report card for you. And this city is in worse shape than when Bill de Blasio was mayor. I mean, come on. You can have press conferences You can go to hospitals when cops are released. All of that is good. You could be at vigils. You can have a physical presence. But where is the plan? 
You keep talking about this plan that you're going to use to crack down on all this crime that is peaking at all different levels. And I'm going to go through a whole laundry list of these crimes just within the past week. And I'm telling you, I don't think anybody wants to hear, oh, we're, we're working on a plan. You know, we're, we're putting a plan into place. Damn, you had enough time to get that plan up and in operation. Instead of you focused on getting paid in cryptocurrency. That seemed to have been the big story earlier today. Uh, Eric Adams got paid in crypto. We don't care how you get paid. We just care that you actually do something to thwart this crime and most importantly, put a plan into place. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, I have not seen a plan. I have seen a mayor, Eric Adams, who had a first, a good first day. He left his apartment that he's never been at in Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy in the basement apartment. And then he took the uh, J train to work from the Kosciuszko station. You remember seeing him. He's looking downstairs. Three Latinos were like brawling. Uh, he had his Ferragamo jammies on. He had his uh, uh, tailored suit. He wasn't going to go down there and rumble with them. Hey, look, he called 911, okay? He didn't ignore it. Then he got on the J train. And in the one car that he took to work, there was a homeless guy stretched out on the seat. Then you had an emotionally disturbed person acting up. You had a drunk guy who was still celebrating uh, the dropping of the ball at New Year's. And that was just on one subway ride. He hasn't returned to the subway since, if you know. He hasn't been back in the subway because it's like crawling into the belly of the beast. And then in the aftermath of the 40-year-old Asian woman being shoved in front of that oncoming train at 42nd Street, Times Square, by that emotionally disturbed guy, he tried to tell all of us that, wait a second, your perception is, is that the subway is not safe. Those were the same words of Bill de Blasio, his comrade, his ally uh, in New York City, was for eight years. That's what he said all the time. Then look, check the statistics. The statistics are down. And then two days later, after getting beaten up by even his most ardent supporters on that, then he flipped the script and he went in the reverse direction and said, you know, I'm scared to ride the subway. Come on. You don't have to wuss up like that and say you're scared to ride the subway, but you don't have to basically insult all of us by saying it's our perception that crime is up in the subways when the stats are actually down. And I'm telling you, he's been reeling ever since. And the biggest problem that the brand new mayor in three weeks, Eric Adams, has is he says he's the law and order mayor. But when it was time to go shoulder to shoulder, chest to chest, with Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, wants to hug thugs and turn them loose and not prosecute them, he let his surrogate, his police commissioner, that nobody knows do it. She has, she has no juice yet. She's still learning the landscape. She's on a, a learning curve. And he never confronted him. He just said he's a good prosecutor. No, we can work together. We'll work things out. Get out of here. Work things out. So let's deal with the shooting itself. I heard Dominic Carter uh, mention uh, Tish James, who actually was up here in the studios at WABC uh, on the day that we were uh, um, actually dedicating our entire programming this past Monday to the birthday of Martin Luther King, Jr., Tish James was here. She had participated in that event. 
Uh, never struck me as Miss Law and Order. Absolutely not. Uh, but she has issued a, a statement in the aftermath of the one police officer who was killed in Harlem tonight, one seriously uh, wounded, and the thug himself who seriously wounded and in hospital, that her office of State Attorney General may assert jurisdiction in this particular police shooting, which means Bogart, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, may. She's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. It's all posturing. It's all posturing. So let's see what happened tonight. 6.30 inside an apartment at 119 West 135th Street between uh, Malcolm X Boulevard and Adam Clayton Powell. All of a sudden, there's a 911 call to the uh, police that there is a domestic dispute going on. And uh, three police officers respond from the nearby precinct. Uh, They go in, and apparently the person who has been uh, giving a hard time to his mother, his mother uh, apparently either retired or an active captain in the correctional department of the city of New York, which would mean she probably has a legal handgun. Uh, that correctional officers get, although I don't know if she's retired or active. Uh, So my first assumption on hearing this is that when the police officers went down the hallway into the uh, bedroom where her son had barricaded himself in, 47-year-old guy who uh, apparently was uh, residing in Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania, LaShawn McNeil, that he started blasting the cops as soon as the door was open. And I thought at first it might have been the revolver given to his mother, if in fact she was an active or retired member of the correctional department of the city of New York. But it turned out that it was a gun. It was uh, a gun that had been stolen uh, in Baltimore in 2017 and obviously has surfaced in this killing of a police officer Uh, this wounding of a police officer, and the shots that were fired from that bedroom. The police officers, the two who were shot, fell. A third police officer, a rookie, had his pistol out, and he took took down uh, the cop shooting suspect who apparently uh, is in the hospital, might survive. I hope not. I mean, I really hope not. Well, what do we need to waste money on this guy? I mean, it's like, Costs $500,000 a year now to house somebody at Rikers Island. $500,000 per inmate in which they get three hots in a cot, free optical, free dental, free trips to the legal law library in which uh, they uh, can become a jailhouse lawyer or find a jailhouse lawyer or seek counsel maybe from uh, uh, some of the many agencies that provide free counsel, legal aid. Find a nuance in the law that can get them a new trial on appeal and then eventually sprung. That's what this criminal justice system has become. Uh, So it would do us all good if the guy just kicked a bucket. I mean, let's face it. We want that police officer who is clinging to life uh, to please hold on, hold on. If, If God could possibly spare this cop because, uh, that first cop, uh, He's passed to the hereafter. 
And I noticed that the police came out in force, which was good. They went to Harlem Hospital. There were 100 police officers in uniform lined up going up against the wall. There were other white shirt police officers there in the command. Then you had uh, the mayor who arrived in the company of the police commissioner and uh, uh, Patty Lynch, the head of the PBA. They went to the microphone. Then there were other suits. uh, And then there were people there. I was wondering, what the hell were they there for? The lieutenant governor uh, of Hochul, a.k.a. Hochum, who means nonsense, uh, who was there nodding his head at everything being said, even though he supports no bail, and he's one of the best friends that the criminals have ever had. You know, he might as well be DSA, AOC, all out crazy, defund the police, defund prisons, and he's nodding his head up and down. Get out of here. Then there's Tish James, who has been no, no friend to the police. She was there. And some other elected officials and the mayor, to his credit, said, hey, look, I'm trying to bring everybody together, Uh, officials, community leaders, police. We're all in solidarity. We're going to stop this violence. Okay, I give him props for that. But there was no Alvin Bragg. I didn't see uh, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg there. Uh, You would have thought he'd have got out in his bed. He lives right there in Harlem. Remember, he's told us his entire story. He's lived in Harlem, grew up in Harlem. Uh, he's had guns pulled on him three times by cops, guns pulled on him three times by thugs. So he knows the streets. I don't doubt that. But what would it have taken for him, uh, once alerted, to just go down to Harlem Hospital and queue up with everybody else there? I mean, almost everybody else in elective office, an appointed office, and the police, and the command, and the 100 cops were there, and the PBA was there, and I'm sure the other police unions were represented there. It was a full house. Where was Alvin Bragg? He lives right there in Harlem. Anyway, let's uh, open up our phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I got a real crime blotter here. I mean, a crime blotter like... You're not going to believe, uh, ladies and gentlemen. But again, if we're to believe this, Tish James, who attended the press conference, uh, Attorney General of the state of New York said, my office may assert jurisdiction in this matter. That ain't ever going to happen. I would be completely shocked. She has been no friend to the police, and she has always deferred to the thugs. This goes back to the time that she won her city council seat As a member of the Working Families Party, not even a Democrat. She beat the Democrat. In fact, the brother of the former city councilman of that area, Davis, who had been a police officer, if you remember, was shot down in the chambers of the city council um, at City Hall by one of his uh, outraged constituents who uh, decided to uh, shoot him. And if not for a hero police officer up in the galley, or who took aim and then shot that guy. He might have shot other city council people, and they were all ducking, and they were crying, and they were hysterical. Of course, they're not used to that. Uh, But rarely, if ever, is that guy's name mentioned. That was a hero cop who took out that assailant right within City Hall, right in the council chambers that led to former police officer Davis uh, dying. His brother ran for his seat. It was assumed he would win in Brooklyn. But Tish James... Uh, fought a good race, went door-to-door, put together a good coalition. Naturally, the Republican had no chance in that part of Brooklyn. And she beat 
the brother of the man who had served as the councilman there, the former police officer Davis, who actually had one time been at the 69th Precinct, uh, had a checkup on my mother and father from time to time at 89th Street when they were still alive, because that's a high crime area. And then eventually he was at the 73rd Precinct in Brownsville. He was at the 75th Precinct, uh, 75th Precinct in East New York. Uh, he was my friend. Uh, he could be a... Uh, he could be a little bit of a loony kazoonie at times, but he was a good councilman and he uh, was a good cop uh, by, by everything I knew. But that's how Tish James uh, began to climb the political ladder. And then she ran for public advocate, which is just a free pass to run for public office, higher public office, on the taxpayer's dime. And then remember, because of Schneiderman, nasty Schneiderman who always wore the mascara, uh, basically doing the S&M routine against uh, women that he knew. He was on the outside looking in, and then all of a sudden Tish James uh, got elevated when it was Andrew Evilized Cuomo who embraced her, said, she's my candidate, uh, was swept to victory on the uh, uh, coattails of Cuomo, only to end up going at Cuomo and taking down Andrew Evilized Cuomo. So she's had quite a career. But nobody would ever say that Tish James was pro-cop. If any, anything, she's been pro-suspect. So now what's going to happen here? There are a lot of speeches tonight, like I've heard in the three weeks that Eric Adams has been mayor. And to his credit, he's been a very active mayor, unlike uh, Comrade Bill de Blasio, who had been a part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, where he still lives, smoking Maui Waui and Hindu Kush at night with his old lady, Charlene McRae, who, in combination with stole one and a quarter billion dollars, which was to be used for the emotionally disturbed in the non-existent Thrive program, but none of the Dems want to prosecute him for that. So he was lethargic. He would not show up at crime scenes. He was barely visible except in his bunker when he would do these uh, daily press conferences about COVID-19 and patting himself on the back saying how great a mayor he was because he survived where Trump did not. And Cuomo did not. He's the last man standing. But when it came to actually being out there at crime scenes, no. Uh, to his credit, Eric Adams has been. But so far, he's talking tough. And he hasn't delivered anything. He hasn't delivered a plan to take back the city. This is what people are waiting for. This is what I'm waiting for. Should have had something in effect from day one. Okay. Three weeks later, he still doesn't have a plan. But, you know, after a while, you have these press conferences prolifically as crime is on the rise. In fact, these three weeks have been worse, worse than any of the eight years of Bill de Blasio when it comes to crime. If you don't start delivering, the people of the city of New York is going to go, hey, he's an active mayor, but it's like the little boy who cried wolf. So you were telling us you're going to do something, you're going to crack down. You won't take on Alvin Bragg. You're claiming I want to put anti-crime out there, but not until I reform it, not until I redo it. Uh, I'm in favor of stop and frisk uh, in some circumstances, uh, but the cops are not doing it yet. So what the hell are you waiting for, Eric Adams? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go first to uh, Judy in Westchester. The hawk is talking out there. It's cold, but it's your turn to be heard, Judy. Yeah, well, I'm a hawk. Listen, I've just been waiting to talk with you again, Curtis. Um, I'm the 
person uh, who had worked uh, my entire career on doing community mental health on a crisis team. I think we had that talk before, you know, set up by the state. Listen, I am desperate. I am desperate for this situation. I am absolutely, uh, well, I can't tell you how upset I am. What I want to see, and if you, why can't you be a leader in this? What we need really is shock therapy here. Just like Geraldo investigated Winbrook, the Office of Mental Health, the State Office of Mental Health, has to get involved in this and answer questions, as does the Department of Social Services and the police. All this can't go on the police as far as the uh, mental illness. Well, well, it can't. It can't, Judy. And, in fact, uh, they keep saying, de Blasio and his wife, Charlene, said, no, 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 we want mental health experts going in dealing with these crisis situations, not police. Didn't even want them there as backup. This past week, uh, I was on with Pat Kiernan, uh, New York One in the morning. I was very gracious towards the new mayor, Eric Adams, and I said, I'd be more than happy, voluntarily, at no cost to the taxpayer, to lead you to the many people who have mental health ailments, who have psychotic episodes, who need to be hospitalized, who need to be normalized, who need to get their medicine. I can sort of be the shepherd and show you where they are in the subway system, our vast subway system, and also in the streets. I've yet to receive a call. And you know damn well they're not going to call me. Anyway, let's go to the phones, one 800 The hawk is talking out there. It's cold. Let's go to Lori in Harlem. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lori. Hi, Curtis. Thank you for taking my call. You know, I've been on the phone since Dominic was on, but when I knew you were coming on at 1, I said, even better. Curtis, you are so right. He needs to give you the task of dealing with the homeless in the subways. But why I called is I live in the vicinity where all this happened. I live on Broadway up in the 130s. All night there was helicopters, police cars going up and down Broadway, I mean, it was a mess here all night, and I'm so wild up I still can't sleep. So I said, let me give you a call. But what I am outraged about is when I saw this press conference you referred to, it was a circus. Adams is speaking like he's doing a campaign speech. He's not outraged. He's not mad. Pat Litch had more fire in his belly than he did. And everybody's just standing around. And then he's talking about, we got to get these guns off the street. We we're, we elected him to do that. What is he going to do? <laughs> well, and you're right. Where's his plan? Lori, what they don't want to tell you, and it's not just Eric Adams. Uh, he had uh, press conference after press conference when he was running against me about getting the feds involved with stopping uh, the pipeline of illegal guns being brought into the city, especially from store purchases, Steubenville, Ohio, well, Morgantown, West Virginia, Virginia, Florida. We could go through the whole list. He's right about that. But there's already, Lori, two million illegal guns in New York City already. If another gun didn't come in, there are two million illegal guns. That means one out of every four people has an illegal gun. 
Most people keep it in their premises. Most people are not criminals. Most people have an illegal handgun to protect themselves, their family, and their domicile. How the hell are you going to get rid of two million illegal handguns in New York City? What are you going to do, kick exactly. down doors? And, Curtis, can I just make a correction? Can sure. you hear me? Yes. I don't know if I was still on. Loud and clear. I did not vote for him. I voted for you. Oh, thank you. Thank so, you. So since he's tasked with this job as mayor, it's his job to do what he said he was going to do. All that talk about what he's going to do, he's not doing nothing. He just sounds like a windbag. He's more concerned with what he's going to wear tomorrow, what suit, what tie. He needs to put on some tra- <laughs> tracksuit, a jogging you know, suit, some Lori, and get down and dirty. Lori, when he was the Brooklyn Borough president, he would dress with a windbreaker that said Brooklyn Borough president, nice pair of slacks, but nothing ostentatious, you know, normal shoes. The moment he started approaching becoming the mayor, and all of a sudden he was being wine-dined and pocket-lined by the uber-rich in New York City, you notice he has Ferragamo's on. Ferragamo shoes. He has tailored suits every day that cost thousands of dollars. I can tell you who bought him for him. His chief of staff, Frank Carone. He might as well have a department store, haberdashery, because he has bought uh, the new mayor an entire new wardrobe, which he shouldn't be doing. It's illegal. But then again, Laurie, I guarantee you the moment that he gets criticized or somebody picks up on that and said, you know, Curtis Lee was saying that Frank Carone, your chief of staff, a crooked guy, was buying you your suits uh, and your Ferragamo shoes, he'll say, wait a second, a black man can't be well-dressed? You know, that's racist. No, it's not. David Dinkins was always well-dressed. David Dinkins, I mean, exquisitely dressed. Uh, And... He had his, uh, not his chief of staff, but his aide-de-camp, Arnie Segura, Puerto Rican guy I knew. I used to see in the streets playing handball in the Lower East Side, Spanish Harlem. I played basketball against him, in fact, in Madison Square Garden in a match that was arranged by David Dinkins. And Mark Green, his consumer affairs chief, was the referee, and he was told by David Dinkins at lunchtime in Madison Square Garden, if Sliwa wins, don't come back to City Hall, look for a new job. It was like 17, 15, I was ahead, 21. And every time I got the ball, you know, as soon as I got the ball, Mark Green would call a foul on me. I said, well, what are you talking about? I got the ball. Foul, foul. Every time Arnie Segura would get the ball, he would start to drive because he didn't have an outside shot. He was a good driver. Foul, foul, foul. You know, that's wussy. That's what you call wussy basketball. So you end up beating me 21-20. That's when David Dinkins was my friend. But the guy was a fashion plate. Sometimes he changed suits three times a day. But it was over probably 20, 30 years that he had acquired all these different suits. I think he went to A.J. Lester's on 125th Street, bought some great suits there. Sometimes had the two-tone shoes from Florsheim, you know, uh, gray and burgundy. That's a little bit uh, ostentatious. But Eric Adams all of a sudden has become Mr. Uh, GQ overnight. You got to ask, where'd you get get all those suits? Where'd you get those Ferragamo shoes? But that's a subject for a different day. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Um... Let's go to Pablo calling from the Bronx, which has actually had 
more gun violence uh, this past week than all the other boroughs, believe it or not, combined. Uh, the hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard, Pablo. Yeah, he probably bought those 60 Robert Moore, man. Robert to him out, he hauled him in, man. I saw him. Those sneaky cheap stuff, man. Anyway, let me just tell you, there's a lot of things going on in the Bronx. You know, when Lehman High School opened up in 1972, uh, Lindsay had 20 cop cars pulling up there every single day. It was payback time. You know, the parents would complain, and then the kids would say, listen, when we went to those other schools like Stevenson and Monroe and everything, our kids got jumped there. You didn't say nothing. Now your kids are getting the beat. That's Steve from Manhattan. Yeah, so I let him get it off, you know, like a Thesmian who's been practicing his lines. You know, he's been going to um, he's been going to acting class, you know, to try to really get into character so that Curtis won't identify him. Because Steve, if he would only identify himself, I'm Steve from Manhattan, and I would say, get it out of your system first. Go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. Okay, Steve, what point did you want to make? And now watch, he'll be trying to get through the pipeline. Phil there, who's got a cauliflower ear, you won't be able to pick him up. He's going to try other identities. He's going to falsely modulate his voice. He's got multiple phones going on simultaneously as if we had some kind of a contest here. Like on the FM stations, you know, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana. They have those big contests. Not like that scam of Frank Morano. So we're going to talk about that in the 4 o'clock hour. <laughs> the thousand dollars. And I see somebody finally hit it. I was listening in the morning. Somebody finally hit it. You know, it ain't going to be Frank's thousand dollars like he says. You'd have to take a reverse mortgage to get a thousand dollars. And we'll talk about that later on in the 4 o'clock hour. But, oh, man. Come on, Steve. You could do better than that. Uh, let's go to Jason in Brooklyn. The Hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jason. Jason? Jason? Jason! He's trying to talk. He's trying, right, Jason? Come on. You can do it. I recognize it's a little difficult cell communication. You know, when all of a sudden... You're in uh, Skimhorn Street awaiting arraignment, and they didn't take your celly from you. Sometimes it's a little diff- difficult to get that cell connection, or when you're at Gold Street and they're processing you for arrest. Look, I know I've been there. Very difficult cell communication down there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Grace in Brooklyn. Uh, the hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard, Grace. Yeah, hi. I just wish um, the people would just take a breather because it's like pretty much the voters vote this gentleman in and they're getting what they voted for. Bottom line is like you buy cheap, you get cheap. You You mean if you go to the Dollar Tree store, you get what you buy, right? Exactly. So you can't complain. There's no complaint. And with the uh, us who knew what was going to happen, we just have to grind and bear it. Well, Grace, you know? Grace uh, to uh, Eric Adams' credit, I've known him for 40 years. And even though it was a tough 
contest in which he called me a fraud, a buffoon, a clown, a liar, a racist. I don't know where you got that one from, but uh, he threw everything at me. I know he can do the job when it comes to public safety. He knows what has to be done. Implement, stop, and frisk now. Put the anti-crime unit back operating in the police department now. Those men and women have been assigned to other units within the police department. Some of them have become detectives. They could all be reassembled. There were 600 when they were disbanded, and they were responsible for 50% of the guns being taken off the street. 600 out of about 35,000 uniformed cops were taking 50% of the guns off the street, right? This is not, you don't have to matriculate this. He said he would put into place stop and frisk under certain circumstances. You don't want it used like his friend, the guy he referred to as Jesus Christ walking across the Sea of Galilee at the Fortune uh, Annual Dinner. Great organization that repatriates men and women who have done prison time. Uh, the honoree was Michael Bloomberg. I know he went there with his son because it was after our second debate at Channel 7 Eyewitness News. And he actually had the culions, the chutzpah, the huevos to get up there when introducing the honoree, Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is like Jesus Christ who walks across the Galilee. Now... <laughs> Is that being a sycophant or what? You would think in this kind of situation, he says he's talking to Bloomberg, who knows nothing about public safety. He let Ray Kelly do all of that work as police commissioner for 12 years. Michael Bloomberg knew nothing about the streets, nothing about so, nothing. That was not his forte. And believe it or not, he's talking to Bill de Blasio, who knows nothing about nothing in terms of preventing crime. And yet the one guy we all know, who did the job, Rudy Giuliani, has to sell wolf tickets. He won't even pick up the phone and say, hey, Rudy, I disagree with you, uh, everything else, Trump, uh, Smartmatic, uh, Dominion, uh, January 6th, the whole nine yards. But uh, if we could have a sit down and you can explain some of the things that you did when you were mayor because you took the city from the most violent in America, the murder capital of America, to the safest big city in America in just eight years. You think maybe it's worthy of a conversation? You think, you think Rudy knows how to make the city safe? You think Bloomberg knew? No. He, he let Ray Kelly do it for 12 years, the longest-serving police commission. He never interfered with Ray Kelly, other than imposing a quota on stop and frisk, which was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, at the end of his administration, the, the third term that, uh, that Michael Bloomberg stole and bribed his way into, missed the term limits, but I'm going to bribe my way into a third term. Uh, he had put out quotas for stop and frisk, which meant 700,000, mostly young black men and young Hispanic men were being stopped and frisked a year. Uh, under Rudy Giuliani, they averaged about 100, 125,000 stop and frisk. That's a big difference. And yet Eric Adams, who criticized Bloomberg at the time, and rightfully so, is now claiming Michael Bloomberg. It's like Jesus Christ walking across the sea of gallery. Never, ever, ever. Now, you know Michael Bloomberg is whining, dining, and pocket lining Eric Adams and all of his cronies. So he's, he meets and talks with uh, Bloomberg. He meets and talks with de Blasio. 
but he won't even have a conversation with Rudy Giuliani, who has been the greatest crime-fighting mayor in, in the history of New York City. You don't have to discuss anything else. You can just tell if the press find out. I had a conversation with Rudy. There's no doubt. In fact, Eric Adams originally was quoted that his mentor, David Dinkins, was soft on crime. And Rudy was tough on crime. Why wouldn't you want to use that expertise now? 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to Joe calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here as the Hawk is talking at WABC, Joe. Hey, Curtis, a pleasure to speak to you again under sad circumstances. Um, I retired. It'll be 11 years from the NYPD in April. Um, Two things I got out of this press conference. Uh, I was very impressed with the new police commissioner, believe it or not. It was a passionate speech. More impressed with Patty Lynch, who I love, I think he's the best PBA president that we've ever had. Um, he hit the nail on the head. All these people that look at the fund, looking to turn their backs on, on, on their own people, and they, they BS them, it, it, it's, it's just all a lie. Joe, uh, you know Eric Adams knows what to do. He said it all during the campaign amongst Democrats where they took him to task for it when he said under some circumstances we're going to reuse stop and frisk and we're going to put back in the anti-crime unit, except I'm going to reform it. Uh, Joe, he could easily reassemble those highly trained men and women. It was 600. uh, Get them back to what they were doing right now. And even in limited circumstances, uh, reimpose stop and frisk. But... Joe, uh, it's three weeks, and he's not doing it. I agree, Curtis. Um, the scary part, I was hired under uh, David Dinkins. Um, it was Safe Street, Safe City. They had. A, I was supposed to go into the academy class. They made it bigger um, when he announced that. Um, things started to change, absolutely, with Rudy Giuliani. To me, the best mayor we've ever had. And um, I worked in the 4-6 precinct at the time. I got there in 1990. Um, it was it was a different world back then, uh, but you had you actually felt like politics was on your side. Now it seems it's everything. I, I mean, I speak to I have nephews that went to college, their girlfriends, and everything uh, else. Uh, they, they, yeah, defund the police. I, I spit at the police. In fact, this is what I hear, and it, it's disgusting. I did twenty years, six months, and a day, and. I'm glad I'm out. Uh, it, it's, it's just so scary. My son actually was looking to join, went to Cardinal Spellman High School. Um, he left, followed some girl to college. He didn't get his credits. She broke up with him. He's in the U.S. Army right now. He's based at Fort Drum, and he's an IT specialist. I told him, when you come out, please don't do this job. But he seems to have that in him. He still wants to do it. And I commend him, and God bless him. We know it's interesting. You mentioned uh, 4-6 Precinct, Ryer Avenue. That's where I started the Guardian Angels. That was my only safe precinct at the time. They had a community affairs officer named Peace, Love, and Happiness Johnson. Uh, Always smiling. African-American guy, always uh, dressed dapperly, dapperly. Uh, And he would come out. I think I I I know who you're talking about, Curtis. When I got there, there was a a man named uh, Andy Andy Sturdivant and somebody else uh, that were uh, they were running the uh, that 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 department. 
What was interesting, because back then, Joe, we're talking the um, 1979 and the early 80s, if you crossed Fordham Road and you went north, you were in the 5-2 near Mashula Parkway. They hated me and the Guardian Angels, so they'd pinch us. If you were on the south side of Fordham Road, that was the 4-6. That was like our sanctuary there, until finally the cops realized after 13 years of locking me up and, and chasing Guardian Angels when Rudy told them, stop, stop, these guys and gals are helping us. And then after that, we never had a problem. But I'll never forget, sometimes I would cross uh, Fordham Road. I'd go like a block or two in uh, up towards Valentine, which, uh, again, hot block Valentine when you go north. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the 5-2 precinct would say, hey, where do you think you're going, Sliwa? Get on the other side. Go there where the <laughs> cops kiss you, took us. Because if you don't get out of here, we're going to lock you up. We had that. We had it's true. We had we had the uh, south side of Fordham, all the way up to actually uh, Jerome, and then um, yeah, south all the way down to uh, around where Bronx Lebanon Hospital was, and we went west all the way to the Harlem River, uh, and it was it, it cut in the five two used to cut in around one hundred and eighty third Street. Part of it was the five two, uh, west one hundred eighty third off of Jerome, and uh, the the rest was ours. So it was a really hot place, but it was a great place to work, and you had great, great cops that, that did the job. And, you know, I would tell so many cab drivers at that time, gypsy cabs, livery cab drivers, because they were the only ones working in the Bronx, if somebody tells you they want to go to Loring Place off of West Ford no, no, Road, no. do not go, because you would drive right. up. And it was uh, it was blocked off, so you couldn't keep driving through. It was a turnaround block because on the other side was uh, the old NYU campus, which became Bronx Community College. Bronx and, it, Community, and you had West West Burnside there, and you had uh, yeah, you had West 183rd went all the way up. I'm I'm just trying to recall. I've been out a long time, but it's it's pretty funny. Good reminiscing about it, though. But Loring Place was the scene of more livery cab drivers. And gypsy cab drivers getting shot in the back of the head because the yeah. passenger would say, I want you to take me to the top of the hill of Loring Place. They get to West Fordham and say, yeah, go left up Loring Place. They go to the top and it was a turnaround and they say, stop here a second. Uh, I don't understand. It's a, it's a turnaround here. And then the driver's wondering, yeah, because they're not used to it. Bang, bang. Down they go, uh, go through their pockets, but- take the money. And remember, in those days, they would hide the money. Uh, from their fares in every nook, cranny, and corner of the cab, uh, the gypsy cab or the livery cab, because they don't want to keep the cash on them. So they would tear up those cars, and then at the top of Loring Place, they kill the guy, drag him out in the street, tear through the car, and then torch the car. In the meantime, everybody's oh, watching, and ain't nobody saying nothing or calling the cops. Uh, unbelievable, Curtis. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, hopefully we do not get to that point. But we have now, ladies and gentlemen, in this city, a phenomenon that I only experienced in Los Angeles, starting the Guardian Angels in the early 80s, where you had constant drive-bys between the Bloods and the Crips, and the Norteños and Sorreños, those are the uh, Latino gangs, uh, those who are from southern Mexico versus those who are from northern Mexico, and then MS-13 was just starting. Drive-by shootings. Uh, It was Al Capone who started the drive-by shootings. You know how they say... If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Not so. Al Capone could not make it in Brooklyn. He got sliced. He got run out of uh, Brooklyn and New York. 
He went uh, to be with his uncle in Chicago, and you know the rest of the story. And he created the drive-by shootings in the 30s during Depression. And that's what enabled him to overcome all the Irish, the other Italian gangs. And, yes, uh, there were Polish gangs uh, there, too. I don't know if they knew how to shoot straight, but there were Polish gangs. He created the drive-by shootings. We have drive-by shootings in New York now. We never had it. And recently, we've had carjackings. In fact, this one guy carjacked a car in Brownsville. The cops caught him. They brought him to uh, Brookdale Hospital. The guy escaped with handcuffs on and no clothes on. It took him three days, three days to find this guy. And then you saw you had two carjackings in midtown Manhattan. We never had carjackings before. Never, never, never. That's what's happening here. And I'm going to be going through a whole laundry list of crimes that have just been committed just within the past week. Obviously, the worst is this police shooting. One officer, unfortunately, who's passed to the hereafter, one who's clinging to life. And the guy responsible for killing them, for killing the one cop, and hopefully uh, it will not lead to the demise of the second cop, is uh, in the hospital. He'll probably survive. And guess what? Alvin Bragg has said publicly that the highest charge he will go forever with a murder charge is 20 years. So let's say this guy survives, uh, and Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DEA, prosecutes him. He'll ask for 20 years because he will be found guilty. Uh, he'll do state time. He'll be out in 16 years. 16 years. He will not go for triple life without parole. And so Tish James, who was at the press conference tonight, her staff issued a uh, press release that uh, Dominic Carter read. It said, my office may assert jurisdiction in this matter. May. Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for, Holcomb, Governor Holcomb? You can go to my Facebook page, and we have amassed about 15,000 signatures, both myself and Andrew Giuliani, who I'm supporting to become the next governor of the state of New York. 15,000 signatures impressing upon Governor Hochul, a.k.a. Holcomb, uh, to utilize her powers in which she can relieve Alvin Bragg of his duties in specific cases, like George Pataki did years ago in a, a horrible killing in a shoe store on White Plains Road in the Bronx. Uh, he removed him on what he wanted to be death penalty cases when you could still ask for the death penalty, although that's been eliminated uh, into consideration here in New York State. You could do it in limited cases. You could do it permanently. The governor has the right to do it. We discussed this when Cuomo was battling de Blasio, the two Italian stallions, at each other's throats. Cuomo had the right to remove de Blasio as mayor or any mayor at the time when he was governor, as Hochul can do, for any reason that they choose. That's the way the state constitution is written. You would say, boy, that's pretty weird. If I don't like the mayor, I can just remove him. Yes. Obviously, with the uh, district attorney, it's a little different. You can remove them on a case-by-case uh, situation, which is what Tish James, the attorney general, is sort of uh, hitting upon. Or you could remove him lock, stock, and barrel. The governor has the uh, right to do that. Um, governor Hochul, her complexion is not her protection. She will never, ever, ever remove uh, the first African-American to be elected, remember he was elected, 
uh, to the most powerful district attorney position in the nation, Manhattan. They make movies about it, TV programs, documentaries. Uh, it's got the largest staff. It's got the uh, largest funding. And nobody can say that Alvin Bragg didn't run on a policy of hugging the thugs, turn them loose. Every every time he debated, and he did it here at WABC against uh, the total of eight Democratic candidates, every time on the stump in every interview, he said he was going to hug thugs and turn them loose. Why should we be shocked? Endorsed by the New York Times, funded by George Soros, his other two competitors who finished second and third in the Democratic primary, they were just like Alvin Bragg, hugging thugs, turning them loose. They got a combination of 76% of the vote. And the Republican had no chance because the media gave him no play. In fact, if there were an election tomorrow, Alvin Bragg would probably win with 80% of the vote in Manhattan. This is Manhattan, the most liberal, progressive, pro-criminal borough of the five boroughs of the city of New York, having replaced Bronx that used to have that disgraziata, that shanda. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This jam is Winter Sadness by the old Cool in the Gang. Used to hang out. Were raised in Jersey City. Then I found out they were followers of Elijah Muhammad, Screwy Louis Farrakhan, and the Nation of Islam. And I said, oofah to them, but uh, I like some of their jams. Like some of their jams like this. And it is winter sadness because this city is propelling increasingly into the abyss. Crime is up. Homelessness, emotionally disturbed persons. Office buildings are empty. No sign that workers are going to return. And why should they? Many of them have a better quality of life where they live. They can do their work. They can raise their families. They don't have to enter the rat race two hours one way, two hours back. And especially if you're the woman of the house, let's face it, your husband can't give you the excuse, I got to work late tonight while hanging out with his gumana. <laughs> can't pull that one. Look, in life... It's about having a better quality of life. Why should we deny people that opportunity? It's our job to reconfigurate this city and not demand that everybody get back into their workplaces. Because guess what? Ain't going to happen. They're just going to leave. Just going to leave. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's John in Brooklyn. The Hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Curtis. Yes, Johnny. According to you, was one of the guy who you is one of the guy who I love very very much. When you just started out with the, the Guardian Angel, with and um, I'm telling you, the the NYPD was one of the most hit guy, as you know, <laughs> from the NYPD. Now, now, John, where are you originally from, John? Where are you I, originally from? Oh, really? I am from the Western Hills. From where? But, uh, the question is Grenada. Ah, Grenada. Oh, wait a second. Maurice Pope. 
Yeah, almost. <laughs> That's right. Remember, Ronald Reagan yeah. sent in the troops to take over Grenada because we said the yeah. Cubans were building this big landing yeah. airport. And I said, oh, they what a, what a, they, I know, they but did. come on. They, U.S. They US versus yeah. Grenada. Come on. That's that's like me. That would be like me uh, fighting Frank Morano, right? Come on. Oh my, oh my God, you were such a guy who I love when he was protecting the subway and things. Still am. In the catch days, man. Eh? Yes. May I catch time? Yeah. You was, what the, you be, the NYPD, the, I don't know how they oh, didn't kill you, Cortez. Oh, man, the they, they, gave me, they gave me grief. Let me tell you, the NYPD back then, the first 13 years, their union, the transit police union, a guy named McKechnie hated me. He had his cops giving me wooden shampoos, concrete facials, attitudinal readjustments. I had to suck concrete. That's why I had a laugh during the campaign. Everybody was talking about Rikers Island. I'm the only candidate that actually got locked up on Rikers Island. In a dormitory, in a cell. And then, you know, they say, oh, solitary confinement, that's not good. Well, sometimes the inmates would get so brazen. You know, they were looking to kill me. they tell the CEOs... You better put that guy in Punk City protective custody or we're going to slit his throat. That's a form of solitary confinement. Now, I didn't mind being in the general population. You know, hey, look, you give me uh, what you got, I'll give you what I got. But I will say that at times when 40 guys were eye-fornicating you and mad-dogging you, uh, the deck was stacked against me. So they put me in what they call Punk City protective custody. I'm in a cell by my own. Uh, I'm in there 23 hours a day. You get one hour of recreation. It's a form of solitary confinement. And everybody in Punk City Protective Custody loved it, especially the snitches. Snitches, uh, as they would say, hey, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Meantime, they'd be snitching away on the gangbangers and others in Rikers in order to get a reduced potential sentence before they might have to go before a judge and then get shipped upstate and do some serious time. Oh, come on. Man, I know the ins and outs when they take them. Oh, yeah, Rikers is a horrible place. Uh, look, Rikers has never been a decent place. The whole idea is to avoid going to Rikers Island. It should be civil. It shouldn't have the emotionally disturbed. But you don't make a jail uh, the comfort in. At taxpayers' expense. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, we saw Patty Lynch tonight, head of the PBA, take a stand. And I was looking at Mayor Eric Adams standing right next to him, which uh, you got to understand it's unusual because during the eight years of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, he almost never, never stood together with Patty Lynch at all. Now they seem to be like uh, Siamese twins. They've been going to uh, so many hospitals where cops have been brought. Uh, they are together. They seem to be in solidarity. But if you notice, when Patty Lynch was going off, he was uh, implying that there are people there who are holding us back, won't let us do our jobs. We've been warning everybody that this would happen, and they have been. The police have been warning us. I certainly warned you during the campaign for mayor that this would happen. And Eric Adams ran on a platform. Look, I'm the law and order guy. I was a cop for 22 years, Transit 10, NYPD 12. I wore a bulletproof vest, carried a gun every day. I know how to impose law and order. He talked about uh, reimposing stop and frisk, limited, limited use. I agree with that. And uh, putting back into place the anti-crime unit that had been disbanded when de Blasio and city council defunded the police by a million dollars. It's about 600 police officers. Some are retired, but some have been transferred into other divisions of the NYPD. They could easily be assembled. They knew how to do their job. They don't need to be reformed, retrained. Get them out into the streets. This is an emergency situation. Uh, There was a time... When uh, Eric Adams had just won the Democratic primary, you may have remembered in ranked choice voting, he beat uh, Maya, he beat um, the former sanitation commissioner for Bill de Blasio, uh, Garcia, uh, and he was invited to Washington, D.C. by the president of the United States, who had a roundtable discussion with mayors and police commissioners about the growing crime problems, most of whom I knew because they have guardian angel groups in those cities, and I'd met with most of them. And very generously, with our tax dollars, Joe Biden was saying, you know, I'm going to take a chunk out of this stimulus money, and I'm going to put it aside if you would just utilize it to hire desperately needed police officers in your cities. And Eric Adams, representing the city, came outside to a national press corps and said, no, he would not accept uh, the money to hire police. And that came on the heels of what de Blasio had said twice. He would not take the money to hire police. The federal government is offering money. You take it. You put it in the bank. You go out. You hire a class right away. You vet them. You do background checks. You get them into the academy before the federal government decides, no, 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 we'll take that money back. And you get an academy class going in College Point, the brand-new state-of-the-art facility where police officers go to get their training now. And then you get them out into the streets to fill the void. Bill de Blasio didn't do that. He uh, had a second opportunity to do that. He said, yet, Eric Adams, uh, fresh from a nationally recognized uh, roundtable discussion in the White House, uh, was offered that on behalf of New York City, and he said no. And that's part of the problem that we have now. We don't have enough cops. Do you realize how many cops have gone out on early retirement since the summer of 2020 when we allowed them to be attacked indiscriminately with no repercussions by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, other demonstrators? When we allowed those demonstrators who at times would turn to looting and shooting 
to vandalize vans, throw Molotov cocktails in there, scar up buildings with F the police. And I can go on and on. And a lot of cops left. Look at what happened out in um, Suffolk County. The number two uh, guy, Rodney, of the police department left the police department because I guess he realized he was not going to be kept on by Eric Adams. He's now the police commissioner out in Suffolk County. And Bologna executive, county executive said, I'll hire as many New York City police officers as are available. And you start out there uh, close to, what, $70,000 a year with benefits? Double, double the pay and double the benefits of a New York City cop. And they're being recruited by other cities. And there are those going out on early retirement. Or there are those going out to uh, uh, Port St. Lucie, New York Mets um, uh, spring training camp. They're buying an ice cream store. They're getting half pay, a full load of benefits. And they've said sayonara to New York City. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Uh, let's go to Billy calling in uh, New York City. The hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Yeah, hey, Curtis. Uh, listen, now that we have uh, Mayor Reverend Ike for mayor, you know, I think he should add to the – I think he needs to bring the miracle bracelet out now. <laughs> and and I think Alvin Bragg was, was up on 175th Street signing the lease for the United Palace. And what they're going to do is have the ceremonies. Instead of bringing the buses to jail, to Rikers, they're going to bring them to the United Palace and bring uh, and give them group hugs. Oh, there's no doubt. The United Palace. I remember Reverend Ike. Remember he would be on once a week, Channel 9, WOR-TV, and Reverend Ike, uh, he'd be there dressed like uh, the black version of Liberace and Elton John. I mean, he'd have mink stoles. He'd be up on that stage, and he'd say, if any of you think that this money, and he'd hold up like a $50 or $100 bill. Back then, they had the $1,000 bills until, remember, the cocaine drug dealers, the narco-terrorists were using too many of them, and they had to take them out of circulation. And he would wave it, and he'd say, if you think the devil is in this money, if money is the devil, give me all your money, because I'm going to get rid of the devil out of the money. And people sent in stacks of cash. Man, he had a Rolls Royce. He had a boyfriend. That's right, a boyfriend, just like Liberace did. Hey, look, he was Reverend Ike, right? He claimed that he had girlfriends. He was going to get married. You know, did the typical routine back then, just like Liberace did. But what an entertainer he was. Who remembers Reverend Ike? Right there, that humongous theater up on Broadway, about 175th, in the shadow of the George Washington Bridge. Uh, Oh, man. Those were the days. Yeah, Reverend Ike, he ain't gay. No, no, no. He just has a boyfriend. No, no, no. That's his assistant there. Yeah, yeah. Like like the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, had his boyfriend right in the FBI, the number two guy. Hey, look. And Liberace, I remember Liberace gets on an interview and he goes, oh, you know, I'm thinking of getting married. My mother in Milwaukee, uh, she's planning the marriage. Meantime, he had no interest in ladies. Unfortunately, these guys uh, had to hide in the closet. They couldn't be as is now commonly done. You happen to be gay or lesbian or transgender. Uh, you have an opportunity to uh, live a normal life without have, having to have a beard. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Richard calling from Parsippany, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Richard. 
Yeah, hi, Curtis. Uh, you know, what's going on in New York is because the criminal system is rigged. Now, I've explained this to you before, but it's not sinking in. So let me try, try this from another angle. Do you have any allegations, like you talk, to the, you talk about this black woman named James. Do you have any allegations of wrongdoing by her? Nah, just that she is not as uh, the state's top law enforcement officer enforcing okay. the law. Mm-hmm. So she's not she's not engaged in criminal coercion. No, nah, I, I haven't or heard stalking, anything. I or haven't stalking no. or attempting to intimidate what? Donald Trump from running for office. Well, well, do you have any wrong? Do you have any any allegations against anybody in city government in New York? Well, actually, Richard, when you said stalking, if you were to go to the compound of Fredo. Chris Cuomo, where Andrew Evilized Cuomo is, and their leg breaker now, Pococo, now that he's out of jail, having done six years for corruption, he'll say that Tish James is stalking him uh, and is preventing him from uh, running for office again. I don't think, I guess uh, Trump would say the same thing, but she's, she's doing it legally as opposed to Cuomo, who says it's all personal. I made her who she is. Without me, who would even know who Tish James is? You see, Richard? Okay, but here's the thing, Curtis. If you have any allegation of wrongdoing, you can hustle hustle yourself to the nearest court clerk's office, and you can file criminal charges against them instead of just talking, complaining, and whining, pissing and moaning on the radio. They will go to the court system. As I've explained, the criminal system is the court system. It is not some office in a city with some city attorney, or they do not control the people that you're talking about, like this new prosecutor, does not control criminal process at all. But, but so, you, no, you I, should, I should go, wait a you, second, I should go to the clerk's be, office and file a criminal complaint against Tish James. You out of your mind, Richard? Plus, uh, she oversees all the 501c3 nonprofit organizations uh, in New York State. That's one of the roles of a state attorney general. She has a whole division to do that. Yeah, I could just easily see uh, New York County clerk. I'm uh, filing criminal charges against the reigning uh, state attorney general, Tish James. The moment she hears that, boom, I'm the one under investigation, not her. Anyway, let's go to Jimmy, who's calling from Brooklyn. Uh, your turn to be heard. He has the hawk is talking, uh, Jimmy. Yes, what's going on, Curtis? What's going on, man? Uh, unfortunately, we had one cop earlier killed in Harlem, a second cop clinging to life, and the thug right. who seems he's going to survive, and unfortunately, no, we may I, I have just, two cops dead. No, no, I, I sympathize with that, Curtis. What, what my position is a little bit different. Sure. We have a problem. And with NYPD, and you should know that because of your background. I have a similar background than you. I'm five years your senior. Growing up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, we were the guardian angels of Williamsburg, South Williamsburg, back in the mid-60s going to late 70s, okay? The cops were always corrupted and abusive. You should be familiar with Serpico. Sure. That came out. Frank Serpico. Sure, cop. and Sergeant Dirk. Sergeant Dirk and uh, police officer Serpico. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Okay, uh, in fact, I, I met Serpico one time okay. out in the uh, Hamptons. Okay, hold on. This, the, prob- uh, the shooting 
that came out, it was on Southport Street and Driggs Avenue. I was growing up on South 9th Street mm. and Driggs Avenue. I'm a white person. Mm. I'm a Caucasian born in Poland, emigrated as a young kid with my parents in 1962. And that's where we settled because it's a very poor neighborhood. We took on, we took on many. Right uh, by uh, McCarran Park, right by McCarran Park and Automotive no, High good. School. No, well, I, I went to Erasmus. Oh. I mean, I'm sorry, Eastern District. Eastern, Eastern District. 4,000 guys there, Eastern District. That was a rough school. Yeah, only a couple of white kids like me. We were, we were, we took on a lot of Puerto Rican gangsters. Oh, yeah, well, we let's uh, let's go through it. You had, if I remember okay, correctly. Here's my, posi- here's my position. Oh, hold on, hold on, guy. I don't interfere with my stream of consciousness. Jimmy talks about gangs, and that's like my sweet spot. So. Near McCarran Park, near Driggs there, you had mostly Italians. You had the Golden Guineas. That's what they called themselves. That was a gang. Then you had the Dukes in Southside, which was near 3rd and Roebling. Uh, but then you had the Bikers and the Unknown Bikers. And all three of them hated me. And I think I've told this story before. It was 1980. And I get a call from Father Stephen from Transfiguration Church uh, off of Marcy Avenue. And he said, Curtis, I want you to come down. I have some wayward youth here. We're trying to reform them, you know, get them back on track. Uh, I have a program, after-school program for them, a a night center. I said, oh, good. Went down there. We came in from the Bronx. It was about 10 of us, guardian angels. We walked to Transfiguration Church. Uh, I looked at these Gavones, right? They're lifting weights and they're shooting pool, and these were like muscle heads. And so Father Stephen says, hey, guys, come on. I want you to listen to Curtis. They weren't listening to me. And then all of a sudden, I heard the muscle cars outside going round and round the church. And I told the other nine guys, I said, we got to get the hell out of here. We're getting surrounded, and they're going to kill us. And so they tried to attack us from inside the church, but we were too slick. We moved too quick. Then I was outside surrounded by the Dukes and this guy named Ducky, who was their leader. And he hit me a shot with one of those knuckle busters. Remember, they used to have these uh, rings uh, with, like, uh, Cochise on it with a cut, a cutter on it. He popped me right in the schnoz. My schnoz is bleeding all over the place. Another guy swings a bat at me. I duck. Feet don't fail me now. All ten of us are running towards Marcy Avenue. And a guy uh, named Speedy who actually is uh, quite the personality. Uh, he was for years at WKTU and La Mega. Speedy was just a kid, told me the story years later. He's he's looking at it from his tenement. He's going, this guy's going to kill this guy, Curtis, and the Guardian Angels. We fought our way to the elevated station, Marcy Avenue, J-Train, first stop in Brooklyn. Uh, we got on the side going to Manhattan, and it was like a scene out of the Warriors. Uh, the Dukes were running up the steps. They were swinging pipe spats at us. We were able to get in the uh, train. They busted out some of the windows and work our way back to the Bronx. And, yes, I got a call the next morning from Father Stephen. He goes, hey, what happened? I said, Father, why don't you stick to teaching, you know, the New Testament, and I'll stick to being street smart because you have no idea what these thugs were up to. Now you know the rest of the story. So you see, Jimmy, uh, I gave no, a little no, bit Curtis, of a history Curtis. of the game. Yes, yes, Curtis. go ahead, Jimmy. Yes, Curtis, yes, yes. Curtis. Oh, I'm, I'm, familiar, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with this. We okay. were known as the, we were coined the Havermeyer Street Boys of oh, Williamsburg. Havermeyer? No, 
have a Meyer Street Boys. Yeah, yeah. I said have yeah. a Meyer. Mid-60s to late, late 70s. But, but I don't want to talk about that. I was calling you about the police. Oh, okay. You right. got a well, problem. back then, there wasn't much of a difference between the gangs and the police, Jimmy. Uh, listen. <laughs> that shocked you, right, Jimmy? No, no, you, no. You no. were stuck big, right in your I'm tracks. A, I'm a huge fan of yours. Oh, thank you, Jimmy. And Giuliani's. Oh, yes. However, Rudy, Rudy. on some issues, and I'm a little bit surprised because you had a problem with cops. A lot of problems. And, and now you, and I'm saying this, we need police, but we need the honest police. <sighs> the, they, they come in. Curtis, come on, you should know that. They come in from Long Island. I'm trying to remember. Oh, that's right. Slowly I turn. There I was pumping gas at Rocky Shell Station on Seaview Avenue and Rockaway Parkway. I was designated the night manager. I didn't know anything. Ugats, bupkis, about running a gasoline station. It was all locked up anyway, the base station. And we had to drop the money in a safe because of the robberies. And I remember this apprentice mechanic who had been working on a van, learning about that earlier in the day, somehow had the keys, came on the property, drove it away. And a few blocks away, some undercover cops had stopped him, had him stretched out on the hood. Some of the local kids on their bicycles said, Curtis, 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 they got Jimmy. They got Jimmy. uh, They're robbing him. So I run down there. I see these two guys. They're like roguish. You know, they got him stretched out like an eagle right on the hood. And, I mean, I I yoked these two guys, man. I slammed them hard. Well, it turns out they were cops. When they turned around, they had the shield. Next thing I know, the boys in blue from the 69th Precinct are descending on me. They beat the living daylights out of me, took me back to the cell, 69th Precinct, said, here's your court date. You better not miss it. You'll be doing at least a year. You assaulted two cops. So my mom came and picked me up. And what happened? What happened? And the cops are telling you, your son, he's a, he's a criminal. And, you know, he beat up two cops. My mom didn't believe that. I told the story. She believed me. My father, I had to do ship-to-shore radio. He was a merchant seaman. He believed me. And so I go uh, 100, uh, I go Skimhorn Street, excuse me. I go to Skimhorn Street. First time I go there for the hearing, it doesn't look good. The judge is saying, we're looking at, you're looking at at least a year or more upstate. You, you know, you don't have any uh, past record, but you assaulted two New York City cops. They're there ready to testify against me. Uh, and uh, the court-appointed lawyer to me said, doesn't look good, kid. Uh, the prosecutor said, why don't you just cop a plea? Maybe we can work something out. You get six months. I said, oh, man, <laughs> six months <laughs> for clocking these two cops. My father comes home. Unbeknownst to me, I, I learned years later after he had passed away from my uh, my uncle that he went to some of the wise guys. He took a loan for $10,000. My, my father hated the wise guys as much as I did. He walks into the Thomas Jefferson Crooked Democratic Club there on 92nd Street in Conklin, at the time, Meet Esposito, the crook, was in charge, who eventually went to jail. Stanley Fink, who became the uh, speaker of the assembly, crook himself, and Tony Genovese. And they took $10,000 from my father to fix the case. I didn't know that. Next time I show up at Skimmerhorn Street, you know, I'm suit and tie, you know, I'm trying to, oh, man, who knows? Maybe it's my lucky day. 
Oh, Mr. Sliwa, you know, we, you, you, you're such an outstanding young man. The judge is telling me this, same judge. And then the prosecutor said, we're dropping charges. All you got to cop to is a disorderly conduct, and it goes away. Uh, the legal aid attorney goes, hey, I don't know what happened. They must have got up on the right side of the bed. And the two cops, they didn't even show up. They all got greased. Now, imagine if I were a black kid from the projects, no money, uh, uh, no uh, political connections whatsoever, no bribery money. Man, I'd have been doing at least maybe uh, a year, year and a half, two years upstate. Would have had that mark on my record. Oh, he beat up cops. Would have made a tough job, man, that much tougher. Thank you, uh, Daddy in heaven, who would have to take a job every time he'd come back from the ship. Uh, he'd work eight months on the ship. We wouldn't see him for eight months. And then he'd be at home for four months. Uh, my cousin, Joey G., the cheats from Howard Beach, had a construction company. My dad was a master craftsman. His father, Chester, uh, excuse me, Anton, had taught him that in Chicago when they did prefabs up in Wisconsin and took him into Iowa in the summer because you couldn't put up prefabs in Illinois. Uh, it was against union regulations. And my father would train the carpenters of Joey G., uh, the cheats from Howard Beach, uh, uh, Gistiani, his uh, construction company, how to put up A-frames, you know, how to be proficient carpenters. And that's how he would make the money back, the $10,000. You know, it had to be a little big with that. Hey, that's another Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. It's a stream of consciousness. You understand, Jimmy? You understand, Jimmy, from Brooklyn? Hold on, hold on. But you're very entertaining. You're oh, very knowledgeable. You, you're very you, good. Yeah, yeah. But let me just, but let me just, you missed the point I was oh, trying to I'm say about the, the cops. I'm missing the point. I digress. Five percent, five percent of NYPD yes. is corrupted. Mm. The blue wall of, I'm telling you from personal experience, yeah. I was spraying and beaten up, abused, set up. Well, one second, one second. A cops got in trouble, by the way. Um, Eternal Affairs came in, the whole thing. This is like 20 years ago almost. The 95% of the good cops, they got that blue wall of silence. Yes, they do. It's like, it's like a mafia, the biggest, the sixth family. And Rudy doesn't talk about that. And I agree with him about FBI because I know I'm familiar with all, I follow all that, and I'm with him on all that. But when it comes to the dirty cops, including the one detective just the other day, today or yesterday. In the Bronx. You got it. How many How many people were released because of him? When you speak, and I'm a white guy just like you, Caucasian just like you, and when you talk to minorities, and we grew up poor, I grew up like you. You did the Guardian Angels, but way before you, we were the heroes of East of, of South Williamsburg. Trust me when I tell you. No, the heroes of South Williamsburg. And, you know, on the other side of the J-Train, other side of Marcy Avenue, you had the uh, Orthodox Jews, mostly the Satmar, and they started the uh, their patrols, which were uh, the Shamrim patrols. I spoke at many of their dinners. And uh, the term would be hopsum, hopsum, hopsum. That means uh, every able-bodied man drop whatever you're doing, Thugs are coming through the neighborhood there uh, along Bedford Avenue, and they're usually trying to steal the beaver hats, the beaver hats of, of one of the sects uh, of the uh, Orthodox, the Hasidim, uh, because they would uh, use it as trophies. And then all of a sudden, you'd have, like, the gang coming through uh, 
filthy mad dogs, uh, FMD, snatching these hats. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, hops them, hops them. It'd be like 400 satmars. And these are big boys. And they'd be stomping these guys and leaving their, their footprints in the top of their head. Those were the days. And then I would uh, speak to them and rally them up and fire them up. And we were in solidarity. And then you had the cops at the 90th precinct said, hey, come on, Curtis, enough of this. You vigilantes, you and the Shamra. I said, hey, you want to call us vigilantes? We got to discipline these gangs here. They're running through this Jewish area and they're wreaking havoc. And the Jewish guys have decided they ain't taking it no more. So they organized Shamran patrols. And let me tell you, Satmar, tough, tough guys. Anyway, let's go to Juan, who's calling all the way from Florida where the hawk is not talking. Uh, what is the temperature down where you are at this point, Juan? Well, right now it's about 70 degrees. Oh. Which, part oh, of, yes. which part of Florida are you in? I'm in Pembroke Pines. Oh, 70 degrees. You know, yeah. it's like... 17 degrees below zero here, wind chill factor. I'm freezing my tuchus off. I I love you, man. I got I'm, two I'm pair. One, I got two pair of woolly winter underwear, you know, with the union flap in the back. You know, too much wool and you start itching your butt. Man, you, you're my hero. I tell you, Thank I'm you, from man. the Bronx. You know, I'm a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, and we love you. Thank we love you, you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, you're my hero. My, my son is an uh, NYPD sergeant, and uh, I cry today because mm. uh, mm. it, it's, it's his home, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, very, very rough for me. But uh, I, I just wanted to tell you that uh, you, are, uh, you are underestimated and underappreciated. And uh, uh, I don't know. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah, Duane, a lot of people, a lot of people give me props. Let me ask you uh, about yourself. Where in New York did you grow up? Oh, right there by uh, Fordham. Uh, Fordham uh, you know, I, I originally, I was, I used to live in, uh, uh, by the uh, Edenwall houses. Sure, Edenwall. Oh, my God. <laughs> Edenwall houses. That's one of the crimes that, you know, that was the last place where, unfortunately, a police officer was killed in the line of duty. Yeah. The last time, I think that was back, if I remember correctly, I'm trying to remember, oh, 2019, de Blasio was mayor. It was police officer Brian Mulkin. And, you know, the, pro- the, the precinct is right there. It's built right into the projects. Yeah. And let me tell you, even with the project right there, Edenwall yes. is tough. <laughs> yes. Whew. Yes. Wow. So you uh, grew up there. What high school did you go to? No, no. I, I, I didn't go to school there. I, I moved. I was. I got there when I was like uh, 18 years old. Ah. I had to work because I had kids. Ah, I now, already you, had my, my wife. Did you my come from uh, Did you come from Puerto, Puerto Rico? Rico? Yes. And yes, which, which town? Uh, Santurce. Ah, Santurce. Okay, and your son now is living in the Bronx or just works in the Bronx? My, my this is my baby boy. Uh, he's a he's a sergeant now working in the Bronx. Do you know which precinct uh, one? Yeah, forty four. Oh man, yes, yes, that, sir. That is rough. Yes, sir. Woo. He likes he, he, 
unfortunately, he likes the action. Yeah, well, no, he's a cowboy cop. We need more of those cowboy cops. Yes, sir. He's a U.S. Marine also, so, you know, so, yeah. Wow, you should be very proud of your son. How many total sons and daughters do you have? I I have two sons and three daughters. Uh, Was that the only son, your youngest son, who went on to become a police officer? Yes, sir. Mm. Yes. Well, you should be very proud of him. And guess what? When he retires, I have a feeling I know where he's going. (laughs) Yes, you know that. Down to Florida. (laughs) You know know that. Like all the other cops. He'll he'll, he'll get half his pension, right? Uh, Full load of benefits. He'll open up an ice cream shop right where you are. And he'll have a second income. And he'll never come back except for visits. Never come back. before that, I, I want to tell you, Curtis, you never make it in politics because you are for real. And politics, you know, is not for real. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that. We love that. you. We still love you. We still love you. I appreciate that so Good. much, so much. But I'm trying to remember. Okay. It was 2019. Eat more projects. Police officer Brian Mulkeen. I remember there were a bunch of uh, cops who were chasing this guy. Big guy. They were wrestling him to the ground. And then there was a hand-to-hand struggle. And police officer Brian Mulkeen, unfortunately, if I remember, and I, I I stand to be corrected. Maybe somebody out there can correct me. But I believe he got killed by friendly fire. By friendly fire, I believe from the uh, cops from the uh, precinct there, the Eden Wall. What's that precinct? Is that the 47? I think that's the 47 right near Gun Hill Road. Boy, that is a rough project, Eden Wall. And then, oh, oh, this is the good trivia. What Catholic high school is right next to Eden Wall, the projects, where the kids. The moment the bell would ring, they'd have to be running for their lives. Feet don't fail me down at Gun Hill Road. Catch the bus there. Get the hell out of that part of town. And were any of you graduates of that Catholic school, where if you pass it now, it's mostly black and Hispanic kids who go to that uh, Catholic school back then. It's mostly Italians and Irish uh, white kids. But they have all the kids up on the, uh, on the fence, all the kids who go there. And I'm saying, why would you want to put the kids' pictures up there who go there? The thugs are hanging out at Eatmore, right? You know, they're smoking their blunts. So I'm going to get that guy. Yeah, man, that guy, he looks like he's soft. He's weak, man. I'm going to stick him up and then run right back to the project. What Catholic high school am I talking about? And did any of you go there? Because it's been rough for years, decades. And maybe tell me uh, how you survived that. That's like running through a phalanx. Uh, that's like running through an obstacle course where guys would be taking capping shots at you from the rooftops of Edenwall. And then it's down, uh, up the hill to Edenwall and then down the hill. I forget the name of the other projects there. And right in the middle of it is the 4-7 precinct. That is rough stuff. one 800 848 the first drop of trivia for this morning. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Anthony calling from Brooklyn where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. Hey, hi, Curtis. What do you mean by the hawk is talking? Is that something? Now, hold on a second. You're coming in a little broken up, Anthony. Are you talking on your celly? 
That's the only phone I have. Okay. All right. Don't move around. Uh, be like okay. uh, the Statue of Liberty. Talk in your celly, and it probably will not break up unless it's one of those free Obama phones you got years ago. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is because I'm poor. Well, that's why you're having a bit of a problem there. You see, it's not like those Boots the Motorola phones, you know, every month you toss them. Uh, because let's face it, your wife, you, you don't want her to see in all the calls you're making to the girls, the Phillies yeah. out there, or uh, the drug dealers. Oh, they love the Motorola Boost phones. Every month, boom, yeah, they toss it and get a new phone. But you got you got the old uh, Obama phones, the free phones that the government gave you. So just stand stationary, don't move, yeah. and tell me what's on your mind, Anthony. <laughs> I like that. I'm I'm concerned about this whole thing, this, this rise in crime and everything in the city and all, because you know I'm I'm, I'm a bicyclist and you know I, I like to do the five borough bike tour and I'm concerned about what's going to happen as a result of doing the bike tour. Yeah, no, you'll be okay. Uh, you'll be safe and secure. They, you know, it's during the day. They have a lot of police assigned. Uh, I'm thinking you're you're more at risk. Uh, I believe, unfortunately, a bicyclist was. Uh, uh, hit and killed in Brooklyn uh, oh. tonight. Uh, you know, it's rough out there because uh, if they don't have bicycle lanes or they have bicycle yeah. lanes with no guards, uh, no railing, uh, it, it's oftentimes tough, especially at night. Even if you have the bells, the whistles, the lights, everything, it, it's sure. it's tough. It's tough. So you got to be careful. You got to be on your, your P's and Q's, uh, as they say. I will. Now, what kind of bicycle do you have, Anthony? I have a, a Cannondale F seven hundred. It's uh, it has the front suspension and all, and uh, excuse, I've had it for a number of excuse years. Excuse me, wait a second. You don't have money? Do you know how much a Cannondale bicycle goes for? I know, but I bought it. I bought it back in uh, nineteen ninety eight. I don't care. It costs a lot of money back in ninety eight. Cannondale's top of the line, Anthony. I know. I used to be a competitive racing cyclist until I got OCD. Wow, competitive racing cyclist. And uh, how long were you into competitive racing uh, on the bicycle? Uh, from 1984 till about 1994. Wow, that's a long time. So would you pack up with the other bicyclists and then towards the end of whatever the mileage was, break, like break wild uh, in order to try to beat the pack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And who was your hero in the world of bicycling at that time? That somebody you mentored, uh, you know, who uh, you role modeled after? Yeah. I liked Greg Lamond. I liked Lance Armstrong, but then I heard about the drug situation. So, you know. Yeah, but remember, at that time, Lance Armstrong was like unbeatable, remember? Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, he was a big idol of mine. Yeah, he was like out of Texas. You said, who the hell? Who's a bicyclist out of Texas? Then he had yeah. he had cancer. Uh, he had penile cancer. Mm-hmm. Same Man, with me. That, I know you had penile cancer too. Well, testicular was in my. I had to have my one testicle almost just like him. Why do you think that came about from all the uh, riding on the bicycles? Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. Know. I wonder sometimes. <laughs> I mean, think about I that. He had testicular cancer. You had testicular cancer. I wonder if there's any correlation. Long-time bicycling, because remember, 
you're up there, yeah. you're pedaling, and then at times you're flopping down onto that seat, <clears throat> and your three-piece yeah. uh, set is getting pounded there sometimes. Right. Now it's two-piece. Two-piece. That's what I said. It, <laughs> it took one out. Now, you know who else uh, has uh, a two-piece? Who? Bill Superfoot Wallace, one of the greatest martial artists of all time. Bill Superfoot Wallace. He could, if he, he, you put a book on your head, he could kick yeah. that book off without hitting you at all. Wow. In fact, I will be at the World Martial Arts Expo at the Trop next weekend. I'll be there only Friday during the day. And I believe uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace will be there. They've had to uh, cancel uh, the World Martial okay. Arts Expo the last two years because of uh, COVID. Uh, but I uh-huh. love getting together with all the martial artists because you know what, Anthony? They all want to shake your hand and put you in a vice grip. And then, <laughs> and then they want to test yeah. your machismo. I remember in uh, Florida, uh, it was in Lake Worth. Uh, Bill Wallace okay. was down there. He was training the Guardian Angels and patrolling with us. And then you had the okay. heavyweight martial artist, Joe Lewis, who was from North Carolina. He was training us and patrolling with us. And let me tell you something. When we did these <laughs> crack raids down there and these two guys were coming at them with red berets, they were running yeah. for the hills. But all of a sudden, they decide they're, they're outside of an Italian restaurant. And they're mm-hmm. wrestling on the ground, showing different holes. Naturally, Joe Lewis was much larger than Bill Superfoot Wallace because he was a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. I think Bill Superfoot Wallace was either a middleweight or welterweight. And they were wrestling on the ground for like an hour straight on hot asphalt. Neither one would loosen up. You know, the, the ultimate machismo. <laughs> no, no, you're going to have to tap out before I would. And I'm finally saying, guys, guys, please, you're going to be burnt on this hot asphalt. You know, it's like uh, 90 degrees in the summertime in Florida. They would not release. Only only when a, a truck, an 18-wheel tractor trailer, started to move in because it had a park there, did they finally decide, okay, it's a tie. And they got up, and I'm saying to myself, these guys will go back in the asphalt, and they'll start tying each other up for another hour. So yeah. I figured the best thing was make them laugh, make them laugh, you know, get their minds off of one another. They wanted to, they wanted to start brawling right there in the parking lot of that Italian restaurant. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Those were the days. I just gotta say, Curtis, I'm, I have to admit, I'm, I've never been a fighter. I've always been chicken shit, unfortunately, and I'm a big guy myself, so I, I get, uh, I'm intimidated by fighting. You know, I have a, I have a feeling, although he talks a tough game. Sid Rosenberg, who always wanted to be born a supreme cuisine, an Italian. Uh-huh. I'm looking at Sid, and, you know, he's, like, totally GQ'd. He goes to the tanning salon. You know, he's yeah. constantly primping. I don't think he's ever been in a fight. I mean, yeah. he strikes me as a guy because he's got the uh, Jewish schnoz. You know, Italian guys got their schnoz. Jewish guys got their schnoz. If you're ever fighting right. an Italian guy or a Jewish guy, boom, just hit him right in the nose. They start bleeding. And like Mama Luke said, oh, why'd you hit me in the nose? <laughs> Irish guy, you can hit him with a sledgehammer. He's bleeding out of every orifice of his body. And he's smiling <laughs> and saying, yeah, now everyone's going to know I'm a man's man. I'm saying, oh, man, you got, you're psychotic. Yeah, you, you got to know who you're fighting. Got to know yeah. it's all ethnic, it's all racial. Where you hit them, 
a Haitian guy will come up to you. You think, oh, he puts his dukes up. Next thing, he's, he's headbutting you. And all of it, it's like Bobo Brazil used to do in the old WWF of Vince McMahon Sr. Bobo Brazil would headbutt people. Down you go. Okay. Boom. Oh, right. man. I, I, I should write a book about ethnic and racial fighting. Although a lot of it would not be politically correct. Certain people, you don't hit them in their kneecaps. Other people, you do hit them in their kneecap. <laughs> I'll go through this. I'll be knocked off the air. Certain people, you watch their hands because they're reaching in the back pocket. You know what they got there? A shift, a switchblade. Man, you got to hit them hard before they reach that blade. They'll slice you and dice you. I'm not saying what ethnic groups or racial groups. I'm just saying you got to watch those hands, certain people. See, this is a stream of consciousness. This is the kind of radio I do compared to the Mamaluke to Mangaluch, Frank Morano, who is very anal. You know, he has different segments uh, associated to different topics. That doesn't float my boat. You notice how I digress in a million different degrees? I have to do that. I have attention deficit disorder. You know, Greg Kelly, you got to listen to him in the afternoons, one to three. That's my favorite show of the day here at WABC because he has attention deficit disorder. And, you know, he goes through the Trump and Biden stuff. I, and then all of a sudden, it's a stream of consciousness. You know, I was on a bus today. I saw this person. Great stuff. Too much politics. And if you remember that study last week, University of Nebraska, I told you, not a hotbed of uh, conservative or liberal uh, student activity said, the more political talk you engage in, you're going to end up with migraines, you're going to end up with agita, you're going to have to end up you're getting reflux, you're going to have to get an endoscopy down your throat simultaneously to the colonoscopy up your tochus. You should do it at the same time like I've done it. And then both probes meet somewhere in the middle of your stomach. <laughs> Don't worry. You won't have reflex anymore. And more than likely, your test for colon cancer will be negative. Uh, uh, it'll be quite a shock and awe for you, though. Let's go to Bobby calling from the Bronx where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, what's up, Curtis? How you doing, man? Big fan of yours. Hold on a second, Bobby. There's some, certain etiquette, rules, and regulations. I let that female caller in the first hour slide. I didn't want to really bust uh, bust on her. But Bobby and everybody else out there, don't ever ask me how I'm doing because my knee-jerk reaction is I've had better days. Kabish, Kabish, uh, Bobby. Uh, Kabish, okay, Kabish. All right, no all problem. Right, all right, go ahead, Bobby. Go ahead. So, no, you, you, you mentioned up the Edenwall housing product. Oh, I live in the Bronx my whole life. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned about what high school, what Catholic high school is up there, and it's Cardinal Spellman. Yes. How, right? did, how did those yeah. kids survive? Listen, I grew up. I grew up, and I still live in the Bronx right now. I live in Country Club, but oh, I grew up oh, oh, really. Oh, hold on, Bobby. Oh, Country Club, the private community Country Club. <laughs> Very she well, she I, private in the neck, drugs neck. Yeah, exactly. But hey, I didn't grow up there. Let I me ask you. Let me Bronx. ask you a question, Bobby. You know this guy Eddie Brown up there. Not Eddie Brown, John Brown, no Eddie Brown that uh, I know. Maybe he's no. related. Yeah, Eddie Brown, toughest white guy I ever ran across, the original guardian angel. He's the uh, treasurer for the United Firefighters Association. 
And I warn okay. all the members. I say, hey, Eddie Brown, he's a stand-up guy. But you better check his mattress because that's maybe where all your pension funds are. <laughs> but go ahead. I, I, I digress, Bobby. Yeah, no, just touch a base. Yeah, the question was what high school. I know the high school. I mean, I went to All Hollows down by Yankee Stadium on 164th oh, Street. Wait, 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 but, uh, Christian Brothers hit you so hard your mother felt the vibrations yeah, there, right? That's when getting beat up in school was a good thing. But now let me ask you this, Bobby. That was a tough school, too, in the shadow of Yankee Stadium. You had to go to a really tough neighborhood there. Absolutely. That, that was when the Bronx was burning. I'm 61 years old. I was going. I went to high school from 74 to 78, and uh, it was interesting. So you, know? you did but not you go. Don't how, you don't know how rough it is when you're living through it, though. You're just dealing with it. I, I never thought it was that big of a deal. You're just rolling with your rolling, right? But they gave you a good education at All Hollows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're still, they're still open. It's predominantly a minority enrollment. They give scholarships. I think their alumni association is in Rockland where many of their graduates end up moving. You know, most people yeah. in the Bronx, when they escaped, they went right over the GW Bridge to Rockland uh, and then, you know, further Absolutely. up in New Jersey or upstate. But uh, what a great school that was. I've run into so many graduates like yourself. Uh, it could have gone either way. And those yeah. uh, Christian brothers, oh, man, they were, like, tough. They were tough, but they were cool. Like, they were down. They knew what was going on. It mm. wasn't like they were out of touch. And I thought that made a big, big, you know, big impression. And you, know? you respected them, right? I can remember. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now, you see, I, w I went to Brick uh, Brooklyn Prep in Crown Heights, the last Jesuit high school they closed at. They kept the others open, Fordham Prep, Regis, okay. where uh, Fauci went to, no football team, so you know what kind of school that was, Xavier and Fordham <laughs> Prep. So I would get on the brothers' cases because I'd say, hey, Mr. French, you know, you got a problem. This is in Latin class. And he turned around to all the young men in the class and said, oh, Mr. Slee was going to be uh, a shrink here. Tell me, uh, Mr. Slee, well, what kind of problem do I have? Tell the whole class. I see you're frustrated, Mr. French. He'd say, why am I frustrated? I said, because you're not a priest. You don't have the powers of a priest. <laughs> Bang! You take that ruler. I'd be in detention. After-school detention, they give me weekend detention, perpetual detention, in which they give you a piece of paper sometimes. You know, you had to put JMJ on the top, and then you had yeah, to put they a... they it Judge. Right. Yeah, Judge. We right, Judge. Yeah. Justice under yeah. God. And then you had to <laughs> fold your hands and look straight ahead. If your eyes went to the left or right, that'll be another day of Judge for you, Mr. Sliwa. And then you didn't want weekend Judge because they'd make you come in for the whole day. And clean up the grounds. And if they ran out of things for you to do, they'd give you a toothbrush and say, go into the bathroom and clean up all the tile with a freaking toothbrush and no Mr. Clean. Yeah. And the only the only thing that I would ask is I'll take whatever you got to offer. Just don't call my house. Because let me tell you, my old man wasn't going to. You know, go down there and start complaining. He'd be kicking my ass. And I'm sorry, I, I apologize. No, no, no. You that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You know, my my mother would tell stories that when she would even in grammar school. I went to grammar school right next door to Avanda High School. You know, Avanda on oh, Gun Hill Road. Man, right on Gun Hill Road. Right on Gun Hill, right off of White Plains, over there. It's Immaculate Conception. It's like it's uh, it was a good size uh, grammar school. 
And um, when my father would go to these uh, PTA meetings, he would, my, he would. The only thing he would say to the teacher would be, "No, be afraid to give him a shot. You'll never get. You'll never hear a word from me." <laughs> <laughs> now I remember I had to give a speech at a Vander uh, Childs. At that time, it was like a correctional facility. One of the first yeah. high schools to have metal detectives, they had two. You had to go through one, and they didn't trust yeah. the first one, so they went through two. But the first thing the, uh, the dean wanted to show me is, we have an Olympic-sized swimming pool indoors. Yeah. They were so proud of that. They said, yes, an Olympic-sized well, swimming yeah. pool. I said, the guys right, up here, want, they, they're right. not swimmers up there. Listen, when I was a kid, we would go there. Like I, I didn't go to a van. Like I said, I went to Ohio. But even when I was like, in grammar school age, in the summer, they would have, like, we'd call it the center. You'd go there, we'd play basketball, whatever, ping pong, different things. And, and one of the things was the pool also. Yep. We would have to actually swim naked. Now, that was my beef, Bobby. I went to Brooklyn yeah. Prep. They had an Olympic-sized pool. And the brothers there would say... Everybody has to take their swimming trunks off uh, because, yeah. you know, it could infect the pool. You know damn well, Bobby, that those gym coaches, those brothers, those uh, those uh, uh, teachers who were secular, yeah. they were pervs. Yeah. I mean, why else? What, how ridiculous is that? You got to take totally. your, your, your swimsuit off because... Yeah, what you're gonna? What you knew what you're gonna do in the pool anyway? You were gonna chlorinate it from your own um, elimination. <laughs> All of a sudden, the, yeah. the water was not blue or green; it was a little sparks of yellow there. Yeah, it was sick. That yeah, was but, but did you guys ever say to yourself, "Why is the instructor or whoever was in charge making us go in the pool buck naked?" Yeah, I, you know what it was. It was just. You just followed along, I guess. You just did it. I mean, you know, it was kind of weird. It definitely was weird. Damn but, right. Uh, no one went if, older. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to go, we none of us had any swimming pools, so to go into a pool, that's what you had to do. Yeah, but know? think about it back then, Bobby, because, you know, the pervs had to do it on the sly. The best places, yeah. oh, assign me to pool. I, I'll watch the boys in pool. Man, let me tell you something. Freaky deaky, Bobby. Freaky deaky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you know what? Listen to this. And I, I, you know, I, I'm talking to you know, friends of mine about this. You know, we went to the, I went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, and when we did something stupid, we got you know hit with a ruler, your ears twisted, whatever it was. Okay, but I truly believe that it, I was never abused. Every time that I got smacked, hit, punished, the jug, whatever you want to call it. We knew exactly what we were doing. We broke the rules, whether we were shooting spitballs, whether we were shooting paper clips, whether we were just being idiots, you know, doing something crazy. When we got in trouble, we knew exactly why we were getting in trouble, and it was it was legit. Like, you knew the rules, and you broke the rules. Oh, yeah. And pimping off your call, Bobby, now, Cardinal Spellman was the school up near the Eden Wall housing projects and the precinct. I want to hear from some survivors, because I know you had to run the gauntlet, man. I know them guys were, like, ready for you every day when that last school bell, bell would hit, and you'd be running off to Gun Hill Road to catch the bus. Come on, time to fess up there. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
I think I may stand to be corrected. That the former Bronxboro president, Fernando Farrer, went to Spelman, I think. Almost became mayor of the city of New York over my dead body. Uh, he ran against Bloomberg the second time. And actually would have been the Democratic nominee the first con- time, but 9-11 hit. Pataki suspended as governor the election taking place on that day about halfway through when they opened up the machines. Guess who was ahead in the Democratic primary against Mark Green? Fernando Ferrer. I want to hear from some Spellman people out there. I need to, how did you survive that, running that gauntlet? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Maybe you thought it was just a threat, or maybe your life was just that crazy and you was begging for death. I try to justify this in my young mind, but the adrenaline and my ego hurt combined. Drove me berserk, saw the devil in your eyes, high off more than we confused. I just closed my young eyes and squeezed. What a sound, open my eyes just in time to see you stumbling to the ground. Damn, what I done now? Running around in the circle. Thinking I'm ass out, high gun burning my waist, ran straight the jazz out like a stranger. Damn, I just Oh, who's me. that? The Hoverman! The Hoverman! Jay-Z! I hate Jay-Z. And then uh, married to Beyonce, Thunder Thighs. Enough of that, enough of that Jay-Z crap. Out of the Marcy Avenue projects where the guy was slinging crack. What was his name, Clarence Carter? What was Jay-Z's real name, huh? Let's see if we give out a Curtis Sleeper booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Remember the rules. If you win by answering, what is uh, Jay-Z's real name, you'll get a booby prize. Uh, I will hermetically seal it with uh, lots of scotch tape and send it to your COD, cash on delivery. You don't think I'm going to pay for it, do you? But who knows? Surprise, surprise, surprise. You never know what you're going to get. It's better than eating Cracker Jacks, right, and then ending up going to the dentist because he's got a drill of cavities that you just got the caramel treats in order to get uh, that one gift at the bottom of the box. <laughs> 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And the reason we play that is that um, this is the most interesting thing, is that Jay-Z, and his millions and millions of dollars, he's estimated to be a billionaire, first uh, rap billionaire. You know, it's like he's neck and neck with uh, Sean Puff Daddy Combs. And, you know, the uh, Puff Daddy Academy was St. Michael's High School, the Catholic high school up in the Bronx. I remember w- one day we traveled up there by the train and we had to compete against them in track. And I hated track and field. You had to. Uh, they kept telling us, you do track between football and baseball. I hated it. And they had a track in the backyard, and I remember and they had other Catholic schools that were coming. I hated every second of track. That was my only experience with the Sean Puff Daddy Combs Academy, better known as St. Michael's, up in the Bronx. But the reason I play Jay-Z there is that he really made it into the big time of the rap world. When he did that rap song that I just played that was talking about how he shot his uh, brother. Because his brother, I think, had either stolen his uh, sneakers, 
stolen his gold chain. That's the other thing. You got to answer that question, too. When Jay-Z made that song and he went platinum about shooting his brother, what was the reason that he gave for shooting his brother? What did he steal? Was it a gold chain? Was it money? Was it sneakers? Was it Pumas at that time? What was it? Um, and yet, he went platinum. He made all that money. He admitted shooting his brother, right? Right there in his own words, his own rap. So now Jay-Z, by the way, our number is 1-800-848-9222, if you can answer that trivia, 1-800-848-WABC. The reason I mention that is because Jay-Z and the other rap crappers, including um, Fat Joe and the, what is that, the Terror Squad, right? He has that sneaker store in the South Bronx, Fat Joe, and a whole bunch of other degenerate rappers. They're sponsoring legislation through the hopelessly progressive and let's support criminality in terms of cops in the state Senate and also the state assembly in Albany. Legislation that says if I did a rap song or rap verses and talked about committing crimes and I actually committed that crime, you can't touch me. You know, it's like MC Hammer. You can't touch this. You can't use that in prosecution of me because it's First Amendment right of free speech, my right to be able to talk about hypothetical crimes. You see, they're saying hypothetical. But what happens if it matches up to exactly the specifications of the crime you were com- you were com- uh, accused of? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, that, that's my creative license. Bull feathers, bull feathers. And that leads me to the case, one of the many cases that have taken away from Eric Adams claiming that he was the candidate who was going to impose law and order. He was the mayor. The moment he was sworn in on January 1st, he would get busy and he would make sure that the streets and the subways and the projects and the parks were a lot safer than they were during Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who for eight years single-handedly took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed this city that we love and destroyed the New York City Police Department. So there was a case up in the Bronx. I believe it was in the Belmont section. If I stand correctly, I'm trying to remember exactly what street it was. I think it was 187th Street in the Belmont Arthur Avenue section. So you got this guy, Cameron Williams. Cameron Williams. Most people would not know him by his name. By the way, what was the real name of Jay-Z? And why did he shoot his brother? For what reason? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Cameron Williams apparently uh, is an up-and-coming rapper, rap degenerate. He's age 16. Interscope Records signed him to a deal. And they were throwing all kinds of cash at him. You know, like uh, Wu-Tang Clan says, cash money rules the world. Well, they were throwing him major amounts of cash. And so he's up in the Bronx. He's in the Belmont section. And all of a sudden, he uh, <laughs> he claims that the cops got into a scuffle with him. Like they were, oh, they know who I was, man. They knew that I was down by law. And then as a result of the scuffle with the cops up there, he accidentally shot. A New York City Police Department officer 
accidentally shot him during a scuffle. He claims that a loaded gun went off during the scuffle and hit a 27-year-old cop in the leg and grazed himself in his three-piece set. He said, yeah, remember, remember there was Tupac. Tupac was in that recording studio uh, in Manhattan, and all of a sudden the thugs that were sent in by Biggie, Biggie Smalls, you know, and Puff Daddy, and they shot me on my groin before I had to go upstate and do some time. Remember that? Anybody out there remember that? And you all said, he said, wow, they shot him in the groin. Mm, were they trying to send a message? You're damn right they were. 1-800-848-9222. So the cops up in the Bronx arrested him and charged him initially with attempted murder. Right? That's what it is. Yeah, accidentally shot the cop. Yeah, sure he did. But the DA, who loves to turn thugs loose in the Bronx, by the way, if you wear blue as a crip, you, you stand a much better chance of being believed by a jury than the blue of a police uniform. It's the way it is in the Bronx. Uh, the deck is stacked against cops. The DA drops the charge to a felony weapon charge and an assault rap. Meantime, this guy, this guy was called C. Blue. He's on probation for prior gun possession bus in 2020. The the thugs could still see attempted murder charges if a grand jury indicts him, but the DA would have to provide that information because, as you know, the old saying, a a grand jury uh, 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 can indict a ham sandwich because, remember, only the DA or assistant DA is presenting the information. Uh, There is no defense counsel there. Uh, Other information is not added. So he could be indicted for that, but he won't. So what did he do? He got the bail bondsman Ira Julelson, who puts together bond packages for the stars. He's done it for DMX when he was alive. Sharu, who had said, shot Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, outside of the Rochdale housing projects when 50 Cent was shooting, uh, excuse me, slinging crack. What if 50 Cent gets shot nine times? That's what You see, that's what the thugs tell me. Oh, 50 got shot nine times. You only got shot five times with hollow point bullets by Gotti Sr. on the orders to Gotti Jr. to the Gambino crime family. And then there was Dominique Strauss-Kahn. Remember, he was the head of the World Bank. And remember, he had uh, sex uh, with that uh, woman who was taking care of his room. I forget her name. Uh, and he turned out to be the biggest perv in the world. And then, of course, Harvey Weinstein. Boy, you look up perv in the dictionary and you see a picture of the ugly one, the ugly duckling there, Harvey Weinstein. Anyway, the bondsman for those cases, Ira Judelson, he puts together the bond packages. And the bail package has to be reviewed by the Bronx DA. Make sure none of the money is, is dirty money. It didn't come from illegal activities. So here, C. Blue, the rapper, put together a bail package. His family put up 15000 His record label put up the rest. So he might well have been sprung tonight, but with all the news about the cop uh, who had been killed, another cop who was clinging on to life in Harlem, and the thug, unfortunately, who's still alive. And then, remember, they had the vigil for the 11-month-year-old baby who had been shot uh, who just had her birthday today. A lot of craziness out there. 
So I want I want to play some cuts of this C Blue. C Blue is uh, talking like he's a professor that the Bronx is not the most dangerous borough. Do you feel like the Bronx is the most dangerous borough out of all the other boroughs? Nah, it's really how you make it. Like you know, people people make it seem crazier than it really is. But if you're in the streets, then you definitely gotta watch your back, brother. Not you chill. Yeah. You don't gotta do nothing crazy. So now he's well spoken. He's not sucking his bottom lip, saying, "You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean?" Like a lot of these rapper jerks. Then, and I can believe this. At one time, he wanted to not be C. Blue the rapper. He wanted to be a biochemist. Do you plan on going to college? Yeah, I want to be a biochemist. I mean, besides rapping. Okay, that's what it is. That's that's dope, though, because yeah. a lot of you feel me. A lot of people be just glorifying the negative. But you, you want some positive. Yeah. Now you see, C. Blue sounded fairly intelligent. I think if he put his mind to it, he could become a biochemist. But let's face it, you ain't going to be making the kind of mad money he's making as a young aspiring rapper. He's already on probation for a previous gun charge, 2020. So he was what? He was 14. So that meant he went to the equivalent of uh, Spotford. Spotford isn't up any longer. I know that probably brings a tear to Eric Adams. What a melodrama. He, oh, they put me on Spotford for a day and a half after me and my brother, you know, we did a home invasion and we robbed that stripper uh, and that prostitute uh, of her money because she wouldn't pay us. Meantime, he was probably get, snacking on her. Man, this guy thinks uh, everybody, everybody who's white is stupid. Ah, well, most white people are stupid when it comes to street smart things. You see Eric Adams? They took him into the 103rd precinct into the basement, beat him and his brother up, and he was bleeding from his penile organ for days. And then they had him locked up in Spotford. Meantime, you would have thought the cops just picked on him. I don't even believe that happened. Uh... But he cried like a mama Luke. I had to do a day, day and a half in Spotford. Get out of here. That guy, he he created a narrative that nobody can prove one way or the other. So anyway, let's go back to C-Blue, because I would think that C-Blue would hire Murray Richmond. He's like the top lawyer in the Bronx, does business, represents all the rappers. What do they call him? Uh, Don't worry, Murray. You got to go get Don't Worry, Murray. You better worry if uh, Murray Richmond is representing you. And then his daughter is in the business now representing degenerate rapper Stacey Richmond. Although in this case, C-Blue hired Dawn Florio, who uh, represented that rat, Takashi 69 you know, with the tats all over his face, who was like hanging with the bloods. And then when the bloods were committing crimes, Takashi all of a sudden decided to become a rat and eat the Parmesan cheese. <laughs> and so... His lawyer, C. Blue, Dawn Florio, blamed the hip-hop police. Uh, She said they stopped C. Blue there in Belmont because he's famous. They went straight for him. They knew who he was. He's famous. He's an artist. They knew he had a gun arrest before in that precinct. And a hunch isn't enough to stop somebody. What the? And I'm telling you. The Bronx DA is going to lower the charges. It'll go from a felony to a misdemeanor, and eventually he may even plead to a disorderly conduct and walk after shooting a cop that he says he did accidentally just the other day.
Anyway, let's go to Todd in New Jersey. Uh, the Hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Todd. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm guessing Jay-Z, his name is uh, Sean Carter. Good, good. Yeah, okay, so you got the first part of the question. Now, do we know why he shot his brother? Because he's an asshole? Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> That too, but um, he he makes a rap record in which he admits he shot his a, brother. Right. Oh, it was over a drug uh, deal, right? I'm not sure. Drug deal. Uh, whether the brother took his uh, gold uh, uh, gold nameplate, you know, uh, on the chain, or his brother took his sneakers. If anybody out there knows what that song was about, because you know, I hate Jay Z. I hate Jay Z with a passion. I mean, he's criminal number one. Here, here Jay-Z had the rap so much. First off, if you ever see Jay-Z, he's got a medallion on from the five percenters. Five percenters. Uh, man, I like five percenters. They hate all white people, and they hate all Jews. And five percenters uh, believe that you assemble in a parliament. They're a knockoff of the Nation of Islam, uh, the old Elijah Muhammad group that then went to Malcolm X, that then went to Screwy Louis Farrakhan. And they believe that they are five percent of the nation of Islam. And they call themselves Earths. These are the men who are five percenters. And because they're Earths, uh, excuse me, let me correct that. Uh, The men call themselves gods. And because they're gods, uh, they need guns to protect themselves because they're better than everybody, uh, including the white devils and other black men who have not been uh, accepted uh, into the five percenters. And then the women are earths, and all women are there only to be fornicated and copulated with and impregnated so that hopefully you can create more gods. And they have a parliament, and then they have the alphabet. A is for Allah, B is for born, C is for the circumference. Now you may be saying, how the hell would you know that, white boy? <laughs> I had a lot of beef with five percenters over the years. I remember in starting the Guardian Angels when we began to expand into Brooklyn. One time they were coming through, they were going to a parliament. This is their gathering. Uh, it was Broadway Junction, East New York. They were coming from the A train, going up to the J train. And they were carrying these uh, sawed-off baseball bats. And we were there. They used to be, can anybody remember when there used to be the Dirty Water hot dog stand right in the bottom of Broadway Junction, East New York, where you'd walk out into the street? The uh, transit police precinct was right there. And it was right off the A train. And this guy, this Hispanic guy, would sell dirty water hot dogs uh, with uh, relish on it that would glow in the dark. I mean, they were the nastiest hot dogs you could imagine. But it was the only place to get a bite to eat. So the Guardian Angels and I were there. We're taking a break. They're coming down that huge escalator that, that goes up. In fact, it was reversed. They were coming down the J train, the huge escalator that connects to the J and the L. And then they were going into the A train, and they were going into bed style. will punch you in your eye. And they saw us, and they start swinging those sort of baseball bats. Meantime, the cops didn't come out of their precinct. And we ended up chasing them into the tunnels of the A train, some of them running down to the next stop as you went further into Brooklyn, the Rockaway stop. Oh, that was one of our finest hours. We really gave it to the uh, five percenters. But that's the medallion that Jay-Z wears. I hate him with a passion. Slinging crack. 
and then claiming that, oh, everybody had to survive, so that's why we were slinging crack in the Marcy Projects or any of the projects in New York City. Let me tell you something. Most of the young men, young women are not involved in crime who grew up in the projects. Most of them worked a job, went to school, mind their P's and Q's. They didn't end up slinging crack like Biggie Smalls did uh, in the projects he grew up with uh, in uh, downtown Brooklyn. And obviously in the case of, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Not Jimmy Carter, right? Uh, That was the president. Whatever the hell Carter he was, Jay-Z, and his wife, uh, Thunder Ties, Beyonce. You ever see Beyonce, wherever she goes, her hair is flowing in the wind. It could be not a drop of wind outside. Her hair is flowing in the wind because somebody is carrying like a fan around to blow her hair. Trying to get these uh, Jay-Z questions nailed down. So I go to my namesake out in Staten Island, a.k.a. Staten, Italy, uh, where the hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Kurt, my namesake. Yes, go ahead, Kurt. Good morning, Curtis. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. Uh, I wanted to answer the other half of your question. Sure. About Sean Carter. Apparently, he shot Eric, who was older than he was and addicted to crack, because Eric stole his ring. Ah, Okay, now you clarified it. I was confused. Thought maybe he had stolen his sneakers, gold chain. Remember his nameplate? Remember how they used to have nameplates, you know, with little diamonds encrusted in them? Uh, So you straighten that out. So it was his ring. Was it a special ring, like a class ring or anything? I pulled it up on the Internet. So that's, that's how I got the information. But it doesn't say what type of ring it was. Now, I'll never forget. And, and, uh, yes, go ahead. And Sean was only 12 years old at the time. Ah, so he would have had to do juvie time. He didn't do anything. His brother never pressed charges. Ah, you see? Blood is thicker than mud, right? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, that's that's the way it goes. And imagine, he you know? makes that song and it goes platinum, and now you know the rest of the story about Jay-Z. Yeah. And, and you know something? I would have never have thought of it because, to tell you the truth, I don't like rap music. But you asked the question, and, you know, and so I, I wanted to find out. Oh, no, no, and, and so it's I, good because you're my namesake, my namesake. And, and yeah, then yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> another story about Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, the degenerate one. So he does a rap song uh, in which he says, why do Jews own all the real estate in the world? He asks a question. In the meantime, he owns real estate. He's not the biggest realtor in the world. And I remember the controversy around it. I said, Schmuck Putz, uh, Schmendrick here. Do you not realize that there are three groups that own most of the real estate in the world? They, they own the most sizable portions. The Queen of England, Church of England, the Anglican Church. You know, the one that uh, Frank Morano was a part of now, the Episcopalians. Let's see, there aren't many Jews. No, in fact, there are no Jews in the uh, Anglican, uh, a.k.a. Episcopalian Church, or in the royal family as far as I know. Number two, the House of Fraud. The fake, phony, fraudulent uh, Saudis, you know, with their fake mustaches, fake beards, and the fake shmantas. You know, when they're in the sands of Mecca and Medina in Saudi Arabia, they're all pious and observant. They come here to America to check on their land holdings. They got knockoff on money suits, they're chasing skirts, and they're knocking back to Jameson, right? They own the second most real estate. And you know who owns the third most real estate? My church. That's right, Pope Francis, who loves Che more than he does Jesus Christ, the liberational theologist, the former bouncer in Buenos Aires, who was elevated to become Pope because 
they realize that most of the Catholics were in Central America and South America now, and not in Europe and not in North America. They own uh, most of the land. So you have the Church of England, Episcopalian, the Queen, royal family, own most of the real estate, followed by the House of Fraud, the Saudis, and uh, the Pope, Pope Francis and the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I don't think there are any Jews involved in any three of those groups. Yet here was Jay-Z saying, asking the question in one of his rap songs, why do Jews own all the real estate in the world? Schmuck, Putz, Schmendrick, Pischer. Yeah, I wonder if he knows any of those. Well, growing up in the Marcy Housing Projects, um, that area there, he probably heard Yiddish from time to time. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ryan in Pearl River, the Irish uh, Riviera, right there in Rockland County off the Hudson River where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ryan. Hey, Curtis, I want to spell the race. And the people who you... Oh, hold on, hold on, Ryan, hold on. You got to get your mouth right up to the speaker. I think you're on uh, some kind of a gizmo there, some kind of a speaker. Somebody. You got to get right into the speaker. Can you try that, Ryan? I got a bit of a sore throat, Curtis. Okay. Am I all right now? Well, yeah, what are you taking for your sore throat, Tim, Ryan? I do the, I do the line. I go from honey and uh, lemon, and I take some tea and lemon. Okay. And some go- no, I'm not finished. I'm going to. Then I goggle with some JD, but I split it out, and my throat feels good. All right. Well, you might. Uh, you sound like you've been gargling with uh, razor blades, single edge razor uh, blades. But now you I went to Smellman High School. Yeah, first you sound like Bob Bryan. Yeah, I went to Smellman. Listen, yeah, you had these test deposits there. You had Eden Wall. You had Boston Sea Core. But let me tell you something. The people who you seem to love. Uh, they got the butts kicked, man. You, you, just, you got the Bronx inside out. You, you really don't know the Bronx. First of all, those kids who went to Spelman, I went there. We didn't, we didn't walk through the projects. I mean, come on, man. Nobody went that way. You went with seven, eight buddies of yours. The people who you love, they they would jump like one or two kids who used like three, four years younger than them. There'd be five or six kids who jump one or two kids. Can't even understand what the hell he's babbling about, man. He says, I don't know the Bronx. Well, I wasn't born and raised in the Bronx. I'm a Brooklyn boy, Canarsie, East New York. But I spent an awful lot of time in the Bronx. Uh, Maybe uh, when Ryan stops gargling with uh, single-edged razor blades, uh, he can give us a call back. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John in Queens where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis. How are you? I mean, I'm sorry. Oh, this is my bad. My okay. Bad. All right. I'm you sorry. caught it. You caught it. I'm you sorry. caught it. That's okay. That's okay. No, I I'm just want to share, share with you some of my experiences as I growing up because I'm, um, I'm Asian and I'm... Uh, came to the country back in like, 71 uh, from the country of Hong Kong with my parents, with the refugees. And uh, when we arrived, we, we were, because we are non-English speaking um, people and we don't know, couldn't even speak a damn word of English. Um, so we got into living in, um, um, by way, by Loma, um, those, those, those projects. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but we live on Montrose Avenue. 
on those um, right next to these all these warehouses. They have these three three stories um, homes, houses, or whatever, like rundown houses. So we got moved in with my uncles, and they're like twelve people in one apartment. And it's although because we are new in this country, we know nothing about the crimes and neighborhood and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> but it didn't nothing happen to us on, while we were living there, but only. We were burglarized a couple of times, and we were not home. Well, now, there weren't that many other Chinese or Asian families in that area, correct? Um, that's correct. And uh, in, in the building I lived in, there's only my family and my uncles, mm. and next door, and another uh, Asian family. But it's interesting why, how they have these homes, like three-story houses built around these warehouses. Um, it, it just it didn't, it didn't, I don't even care for it, but then... Right down the block is where the prison and the firehouse is right there. So I guess the neighborhood is is clean and uh, not that many crime to go to speak of. Although we are new to the country, we know nothing about crimes, and we just walk in and out on the J train on the Lama Street station. Um, so I went to school. I was only 12 years old. I went to the um, middle school. Um, that's an IS-49, and I'm the only Asian in the whole population of uh, classes. Wow. What, what yeah. high school? What high school do you go to, Johnny? Well, well, after that, we we got we learned about the, the roughness of the we can organize a couple of times. We didn't like it, so my parents decided to move down and find an apartment up on the Inwood uh, by Diamond Street on 200 Street. Yes. Yeah, so I I went to school in GW, GW High. I was the only Asian too. In this wow, school. George Washington High School on the Hill. Why, why yeah. do you why did your parents keep moving to neighborhoods that, where there were no Asians or Chinese? Well, because they just only know some relatives, and they were just getting together because um, we don't know nothing about the neighborhood, which was good. I mean, we we could chose to go live in uh, Kings Highway. Um, uh, she surveyed those area like nice neighborhood. Did, uh, did they harass you in these neighborhoods, John, because you were um, Asian, you were Chinese? <clears throat> no, um, that's a good thing about it. But then, um, <clears throat> but anyway, my, I have a younger brother and sister, and, and they went they, in, in up on Sherman Avenue where we live. There's two six-story buildings, like, mostly all, like, occupied by Chinese families and descent from uh, the... Um, country in Hong Kong, whatever. So it's interesting that um, my sibling, they go to JFK high, um, high School. Wow. Where, uh, yeah, where I'm the only one to go to GW High. And like, although in the school now, now you, you never went to JFK High School, did you? No, I want to, but I somehow, I don't know why. Oh, I let me tell you something. There. That had the biggest escalator. That escalator went right up to heaven. I mean, I've never seen an escalator that went up that far. Uh, it went up further than the escalator that Donald Trump came down at Trump Tower. Remember when he announced that he was running for the presidency of the United States? That huge, absolutely huge, el- no, escalator, not elevator. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. What you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. To the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, and the purple, and yellow. But first, I got to bang. 
producer, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out. I'm the C-A-S-N, the O-V-A, and the rest is F-L-Y. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix. These reasons, I'll tell you why. You see, I'm six foot one, and I'm tons of fun, and I dress to a T. You see, I got more clothes than Muhammad Ali, and I dress so viciously. I got bodyguards, I got two big cars, I definitely ain't the whack. I got a Lincoln Continental and a sunroof Cadillac. So after school, I take a dip in the pool, which is really on the wall. I got a color TV so I can see the Knicks play basketball. Him and talk on my checkbook, could it cost more money than a sucker could ever spend? But I wouldn't give a sucker or a bum from the rock and not a dime till I made it again. Everybody go, oh, hell, more, hell, what you gonna do today? Cause I'm gonna get a fly girl, gonna get some spank and drive off in a death OJ. Everybody go, oh, hell, more, hell, holiday in. Say if your girl starts acting up, then you take her friend. I'm after G, I'm off me low. It's on you, so what you gonna do? Well, it's on. And no, and no, and no, and no. The beat don't stop until the break of dawn. I said a M A S, a T E R, a G with a double E. I said I go by the unforgettable name of the man they call a Master G. Well, my name is known all over the world by all the Fox ladies and the pretty girls. Yeah, now, uh, hey Phil, who is that guy that uh, called up like he was uh, gargling with single-edge razor blades uh, on Rikers Island? Huh, Phil? What was his name? I was Ryan. Ryan said I knew nothing about the Bronx, right? Right? He, yeah, yeah. No, Bruce? He, he definitely said that. Said I know nothing about nothing when it comes to the Bronx. Now, there's no doubt. I know more about Brooklyn. That's where I was birthed. Canarsie, East New York, Brownsville, other neighborhoods in Brooklyn. But I think I know my stuff about the Bronx. That's my second world. That's where I started the Guardian Angels. Burroughs, topped off by the killing of a police officer tonight who, along with his partner and another uh, police officer, were responding to a domestic call at about 6.30 at 135th Street between uh, Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard and Malcolm X. Uh, Apparently the mother was uh, either a retired or an active uh, captain in the correctional department. But it wasn't her gun that was used to kill the cop and to injure the other cop who was clinging to life at Harlem Hospital. Apparently it was a gun that uh, this guy had stolen. He was uh, 45 years old, lived in, uh, he lived in the Lehigh Valley, Allentown. And it was a gun stolen in 2017 that worked its way into his possession, LaShawn McNeil. And he's got a rap record. And it was the third cop who shot him dead after he unloaded on the first two cops who came towards the door of the bedroom where he had barricaded himself in. So he shot one cop in the face. He shot the other cop multiple times. And then the third cop, the rookie crop, uh, cop, unloaded on him, killing him. So that's what we know so far. I'm sure more information will be coming in. We saw a press conference uh, earlier in the night featuring the brand-new police commissioner. She began uh, giving information, Sewell, 
uh, although she's not ready for prime time. I know uh, one of our callers said, oh, great police commissioner. And she knows nothing about nothing when it comes to the NYPD. And I would bet you, even though she grew up in the Queensbridge projects, uh, right underneath the uh, Queensboro, a.k.a. Uh, Ed Koch Bridge, a.k.a. the 59th Street Bridge. Why does that bridge have three names? Is that so ridiculous? The largest public housing complex in America, right there on the East River. I doubt sincerely that she could get around the five boroughs of the city of New York without having a global positioning system. Yeah, she's uh, got to be on a, a slow curve learning about uh, the complications involved uh, in the NYPD, all their divisions, all the backstabbing that goes on, uh, the white shirt immunity. I can go on and on and on and on. So Eric Adams, uh, he was very forceful at first, and then he was all over the map, blaming this all on the illegal handguns that are finding their way into the city of New York. And I would have said, hey, Eric, stop it. You already know that presently there are 2 million illegal guns in the city of New York, most of them owned by law-abiding people. They have it uh, on their, uh, not their person most times, but on their premises. Uh, could be a, uh, a store, could be their house, could be the basement, could be the attic. That's one out of four New Yorkers. There's 8,000 New Yorkers in New York City, and there are 2,000 illegal guns. Uh, that doesn't mean there are 2,000 illegal guns in the hands of uh, desperados and criminals. They're mostly in the hands of legal uh, residents who just can't get a permit. Because the only way to get a, a carry permit and a presence, uh, uh, a permit for a premise permit, oftentimes is you got to grease. You got to pay for it. You got to know the right people. You got to be a judge. You got to be a radio talk show hosts like when Imus was strapped, and others. You have to be men and women of privilege. But if you're an average, everyday fuddy-duddy, you can forget that. That's why you're relegated, uh, if you uh, have to, to carry an illegal handgun. Again, two million already in the city. And Eric Adams, our brand-new mayor, who's off to uh, the worst start that any mayor's ever been off to. I mean, look, there's more crime now, and it's three weeks than there was at the worst times of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the Dope from Park. So he has not come up with a plan. He, he takes both sides of the issue. He refuses to take on Alvin Bragg, who just wants to hug those thugs as the Manhattan DA, and turn them loose. Won't take them on. Does it to his surrogates, but won't man up and do it himself. And then you saw the incredible flip the script uh, way he handled the pushing in of the Asian woman, the 40-year-old Asian woman who died under the train. The emotionally disturbed guy did it. He got arrested. He'll be charged. And the very next day, what did Eric Adams say is, oh, there's just the perception of crime in the subways. Uh, crime stats are down. That's exactly what de Blasio said for eight years. He, he bullfeathered us. And then two days later, catching all the blowback, what did Eric Adams say? Oh, no, uh, uh, I'm actually afraid when I go on the subway. Hey, come on, pal. You go from one extreme to the next. You got to get on one train of thought, stick to the train of thought, get those anti-crime cops out there undercover. There were 600 when they were stripped from the department. When de Blasio and the city council defunded the police to the tune of a billion dollars, 600 trained men and women 
most of whom are in other divisions of the police department who can be reassembled overnight and can get back out on the streets and do what they were trained to do. They removed 50 percent of the firearms that were recovered by the NYPD. 600 officers removed 50 percent of the firearms. And you got to allow the cops to start doing uh, some stop and frisk. Not like it was done in the last four years of Bloomberg off the hook. 700,000 stop and frisk a year uh, with a quota on police officers to do five stop and frisk sometimes in one tour. That's outrageous. And it was Bloomberg who did that. And who's Bloomberg's best friend now? The guy who testified against stop and frisk in uh, Shira Shinlin's federal court, Eric Adams who took on Bloomberg, and now the only thing he can say about Michael Bloomberg, who's wine-dined and pocket-lined uh, him, is, oh, Michael Bloomberg, he's like Jesus Christ walking across the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Oof. Anyway, let's go to Mike in the Bronx, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mikey. Curtis, uh, you were looking for Spellman people. I went there from 72 to 76. And the uh, the hot spot for for muggings was always the bus stop in back of the school on Shefflin Avenue. Yeah. Now explain this to me because the last time I was there a few months ago, I'm in the projects, Eden Wall. Down the block is the actual precinct in the project. Four seven. Unusual, right. Well, the there's seven. there's PSA eight in the precinct, and there's also the four seven right the, across the street. And then I noticed that the homeboys there were salivating, eyeballing uh, the young men and young women leaving, and that on the fence they actually have pictures of the young men and young women who go to the school, which I thought was a bit odd. Well, that that's on the Baychester Avenue side. They had the graduating class. They, they had up. That's on the Baychester Avenue side. The the bus stop is in back of the school on Shefflin Place, where now they built the Northeast Bronx YMCA. They just opened. Ah, but it had to be difficult at times. So students had to run uh, the gauntlet or uh, phalanx because I got to imagine some of those project guys. Man, this was like payday for them. Oh yeah, I mean you know they. Uh, let me put it this way: uh, muggings were not uncommon. <laughs> and uh, now, did yeah, any of, did any of the teachers ever come out there? Or I didn't think they had many priests there, or brothers, or sisters. It was, they, 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 it was mostly lay teachers right. at the time, but there were there was some there was some priests. There was only one brother. But if if it got real bad, I, I heard like you know they would you know uh, station somebody in the back, hmm. maybe to you know to keep an eye on things. But it, uh, it was too when you left because if you stood for activities and you left when it wasn't too crowded, that could be risky too. Sure. Now you guys had a football team and after-school activities, so I'm sure that once the sun went down, it made it even that much more difficult. Now, was I correct in assuming that the former Bronxboro president, who almost became mayor, Fernando Ferrer, went to Spelman or yes, Stephen? he did. He did yes, go. He, to no, he went to Spelman. Class of 68, I believe. Oh, let me tell you something. Mike, I one time was invited uh, by the vice president of the Daily News. uh, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now. uh, Jewish guy. uh, And he had a house uh, in Greenwich where originally they had deeded against Jews. So, you know, you take the exit, New England Thruway, uh, it's a gated community. Uh, you got the uh, select man with his lime green slacks and jacket who meets you there and determines if if you can come in. Uh, so, oh, Ira Ellenthal, 
Ira Elenthal, who originally, his father uh, was a bookkeeper and drove a truck for the Daily News. Then his son ended up becoming a vice president of the Daily News. So he invited me, uh, my wife at the time, I'm trying to remember which one, I've had so many, uh, out to his house. He's right on the uh, ocean there, Long Island Sound. It's Greenwich, and he's invited Fernando Ferrer and his wife. His wife also, I think, went to uh, a – she may have gone to Preston, I don't know, the same school that J-Lo went to, but she went to a Catholic high school. So they were dissing and dismissing Catholic education, Catholic high school education. I said, look how it served the both of you. Fernando, you almost became mayor, and your wife is a principal of a school. Uh, she has a esteemed position. She's renowned across the nation. They go, no, no, public school is better. I said, what are you talking about? We got into such an argument that Ira Ellenthal was nervous, so nervous that a neighbor came over and she said, Ira, can you pour me some white wine because this, this, these, these guys look like they're going to start fighting. And he reaches underneath the sink, Ira Ellenthal, and he actually takes motor oil instead of uh, uh, white wine. And she starts drinking the motor oil, which looks a little bit like the white wine. And she's gagging and she's flip-flopping on the floor. And Ira Ellenthal's wife goes, Ira, you gave her motor oil. (laughs) He's shaking like a leaf. And do you realize that Fernando Ferrer and his wife double-teamed me and did not stop arguing with me, even though this, 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 this woman was gagging on the floor? Oh, unbelievable. Well, I guess it was very politically correct of him to go against Catholic education. No. There's one thing you got to know. He was the Maytag to his wife. You know, some guys, they act tough, but when the wife is around, the wife's the boss. The wife's the the shot caller. And he did not want to cross his wife. He did not want to cross his wife. They can imagine this. His his mother, he has a great narrative. His mother um, would take care of, uh, you know, she would clean office buildings and I think maybe hotels. Uh, brought up by his mother, tough upbringing, gets to go to Spelman High School, gets to be Bronx Borough president. Then uh, could have won the Democratic primary if Pataki had allowed the vote to be counted on 9-11. He stopped it halfway through the day. Uh, he was beating Mark Green handily, only to come back a few weeks later and lose to Mark Green. But then the second time around, remember, he ran against Bloomberg, Fernando Fajer. And you know who stabbed him in the back, Mike, after he promised him he'd get out the vote? Who was that? Who do you think? Al Slim Shady Sharpton. So, uh, so Al Slim Shady Sharpton is telling all the uh, the, uh, the machine politicians who were the Puerto Ricans there. He's telling Ramirez, who was the shot caller, former teacher and assemblyman. Uh, and he's telling Fernando Ferrer and the others, I'm going to back you, Fernando. Uh, I'm going to back you. And you know what he did? He stabbed him right in the back because he took Bloomy dollars. Do you know that Uh Michael Bloomberg, all 12 years that he was mayor of the city of New York, every month gave an envelope to Al Slim Shady Sharpton so he could stay at the Carlisle Hotel, $10,000 cash, no questions asked, so that there would be no demonstrations, no justice, no peace, like there were when Rudy was mayor. Remember, every day Al Slim Shady Sharpton had a demonstration, the jour demonstration, because Rudy said, I don't care. He told Bill Bratton one time, you are not going to meet with Al Sharpton, or you could leave your badge and your gun on your on the desk here, and I'll get a new police commissioner. 
Yeah, you're learning a lot here, right, Mike? Yes, I am. See, three, now, would you have learned that from Frank Morano, who does the other side of Midnight five uh, days a week? I don't think so. Nah, of course not. Of course not. You know, Frank is very anal. In fact, in the 4 o'clock hour, I'm going to play you the scam. I mean, the contest that he runs. You know, you got to get six questions uh, answered. Excuse me. Uh, what is that? Ten questions answered. Ten questions. Right. In 60 seconds. Uh, that's the scam of all scams. I would report it to the attorney general of the state of New York, but she, she's too busy uh, suing Donald Trump every chance she gets. Uh, so, and then so, I'm gonna... so, someone, someone won this week. Yeah, yesterday. Had the first winner. Because, you see, he knew. He knew I was going to pick him apart again and call it a scam. And then I'm going to play the contest, Beat Bernie in which Sid was substituting because, as you know, Bernard McGurk has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, stage four, which is exactly what I had. So, you know, he's like trying to recover from that circumstance. So Sid Rosenberg did the contest and demanded that there only be sports questions, which the caller was so upset. He goes, well, what is this, WFAN? Well, why don't you ask normal kind of questions? I'm telling you, man, these two guys were scamming their listeners, scamming them. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, you notice, Frank knew I was going to beat him up, right, on that scam contest. And he finds a winner after all this time. Now, who do you think is paying the $1,000? You think that's Frank Morano? Ha, 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 ha. He couldn't collect enough cans and bottles and get the nickel deposit on him to pay $1,000, which he likes to do. I mean, look, I give him credit. I used to collect tons of, of newspapers, bottles, and cans, although I didn't uh, put them in for the deposit, only the ones that were deposit. Most of the bottles, cans, and newspapers uh, that I collected ended up getting recycled, tons and tons, before there was Earth Day, before there was the word ecology, before there was the word recycling. In fact, you were considered a junk man back then, like my grandfather was, Fidel Bianchino, who would take the old baby carriage. He'd go into the surrounding lots in Canarsie. This is before the subdivisions where people would dump garbage at times. And he would take the old mattresses, the old bed springs, any copper, aluminum, or brass that he would find. Uh, and then he would, uh, he would bring it back uh, to where we lived on 89th and J. He would store it in the basement. And then the uh, junk guy would come around in the truck uh, with the uh, – he'd have the scale in the back. He was a Jewish guy from Dean Street, and they would be uh, kibbling back and forth. They'd be, I mean, going back and forth at it, and eventually he'd get a few pennies for whatever it was the Jewish guy took to Dean Street. Oh, man, the memories are flowing now. This is a stream of consciousness. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. The diss and dismiss of the two guys who have the Mutual Admiration Society. Frank Morano <laughs> kisses the tuchus of Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> who kisses the tuchus of Frank Morano. They can see no wrong in one another. No, you're the best. No, I'm the, like Barney. Like Barney. I hate Barney. By the way, in the next hour, uh, Bruce, start getting that Barney song ready. Because if I had a gun, I would shoot it. Anyway, let's go to John in New Jersey where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Thanks for making me laugh. I was very angry. 
Hold on a second. Hey, John, it's such a good call. And then you ask me, how am I doing? How many times do I have to tell all of you listeners out there who should be callers? Only 1% of the people out there ever bother to call a talk radio program, including this program. You, you should call. Your voice should be heard. It shouldn't just be 1% of the mass. But when you call, you can't ask me how I'm doing, John, because I'm just going to say I've had better days. Kabish, Kabish, John. Yeah, no, I said I, I love the way you made me laugh because uh, I was angry, man. and I love the way you rag on Frank. Uh, yo, I, we do the same with, I do the same with my friend. Yeah, well, you see, he's such a mamalook, such a mongoloosh. But go ahead, Johnny. I do, I do want to say I, I answered the eighth, first eight questions with Frank uh, about a month ago. Wow. Actually, right before Christmas. I answered the eight, and I ran out of time. Did he send and you? I, did he send you any tchotchkes, anything, belly button lint, anything? He, he did promise me something. I have not received it yet. Whoa! What a welcher! What a welcher! I also, I, I also did beat Bernie, and I did get a hundred dollars for that. You see, because Bernie is not a welcher. He's a man's yeah. man. Grew up in the Bronx in the Monroe Housing Projects, across from the Sotomayor Projects in Soundview. His word is his bond. Frank Morano, he's a welcher. <laughs> Listen, I called. I'm from Jersey. I lived in Jersey my whole life. I'm 57. Spent many a night in New York City. And at places that I probably shouldn't have been very late night in the 80s and the 90s when it wasn't the safest place to be. Ah, what were you scoring? What kind of drugs, uh, John? No, 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 no. Just drinking. I'm a bartender, so we oh, used to okay. go out after right. work in Jersey. I had to go to New York to keep drinking. John, if you were and a bartender, Frank would love you because, you know, with yeah, Frank, no. uh, you'd keep I pouring. Still am. That's why I'm calling now. I'm yes, on my yes, way good, home good, now. Good, 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 uh, John. Good. And uh, I actually spoke to you a few weeks ago, too. You were ragging on me because I knew the bada bing. Oh, the Bada Bing. Uh, which is... I answered the Bada Bing question, and you were ragging on me for that. By the way, Sid is all for toots. Uh, he's going to have on two of the Sopranos coming up because they're going to be appearing at the St. George Theater, reminiscing about the Sopranos, and I don't know, running some kind of contest. So that's all Sid is talking about. He's all for toots. Oh, oh I, I think it's Big Pussy he's going to have. Uh, then there's, uh, what's his name, Mikey. Remember when they went to do an intervention because Mikey did too much? Snow candy. Oh, yeah. uh, so Tony and took they, the crew up to uh, the Poconos, and then Mikey got smart with them, and they beat the hell out of them. <laughs> the best intervention ever. <laughs> That's right. That was great. <laughs> the reason I called, I, I, I just the serious reason I called is I'm I'm now a father, and I'm afraid to come into the greatest city in the world. What is it going to take for this mayor to wake up? And 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 start doing what you would have been doing from day one. Yeah, what and, and again, we uh, got cops dead. We got two uh, two cops dead now. Well, I one mean, one is definitely one is- unfortunately passed away to the hereafter. The other one is clinging to life, and the mutt, the scale who did it, apparently will survive. If you can believe that, that's ridiculous. I, I years ago I had a a, a cop. That it was one of my regulars, and I don't know if you remember a very famous case in New Jersey where two cops were murdered in Lodi at the Angel Lounge. That's right, I remember that. And the guy Tarantino has recently got out of prison, which is a farce in itself. But I remember this cop telling me 
that they tracked the other guy down and he was holed up in the Bronx somewhere and the special unit went in to negotiate. And you know how that negotiation worked out. Yep. The guy never the guy came out on a slab, which is what what needs to be done more often, I think. Well, the other one was Larry Davis, uh, who ended up hiding not far from where the uh, uh, 11-month-year-old uh, baby was shot in the car with her mom by this thug who still needs to be caught and incarcerated. Uh, and he was dragged right from uh, underneath the dumpster. And people were screaming, Larry, 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 which was a real diss and dismiss to the cops since he had shot a number of cops before that that precipitated them going on an all-round-the-clock manhunt for Larry Davis. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. I love you. I hate Barney. I hate that purple monster. No, no, I hate you. I hate you. And you better hate me. For years, I'd have to sit in front of the boob tube and watch Barney as my, my oldest son, now Anthony, 18, will be watching it when he was a youngster, loving every second of it. He's now an intern here at WABC. Anthony just turned 18. We did another podcast today. You got to check it out. If you go to WABCradio.com, that's WABCradio.com. It's called The Father and a Son. He wants it to be called Anthony and Curtis. But right now, the suits, the muckets, the muckety-mucks have it Curtis and Anthony. So he's going to take it right up to Chad Lopez, our capa de tutti here at WABC. And then, if necessary, John and Margot Katsimatidis, owner and operators of Red Apple Media, which uh, directly own here the Tower of Power. 50,000 powerful watts of sound, which at this time in the morning can be heard in parts of Canada, 38 states in the United States, uh, a bit of Europe. And uh, as I've mentioned over and over, there are sailors who have gone down to Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle, right between Bermuda and Bahamas. Bahamas is where uh, Cousin Brucey had his first radio gig, believe it or not, soon after he graduated Madison High School, which also graduated the schmuck to putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. Oh, God. Bernie the Altacanca Sanders, former U.S. Justice Ginsburg, no longer with us, and Cousin Brucey. Yes. See, that's a stream of consciousness, a stream of consciousness. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But these contests, there are two of them that I'm going to point out to all of you listening, obviously are scams. Not the one when Bernard uh, McGurk is here. Bernard, who's been diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer, is uh, going through his uh, remedies to give him relief. I know I had that in 2012. It knocks the, the bejeebers out of you. I don't care how tough you are. That prostate cancer takes its toll. And he is going through various options as to how to give him relief and, most importantly, how not to, how to prevent the cancer from metastasizing into other organs and bone. That'll be really the key. 
Uh, but he's a tough guy. I'm sure he's going to turn it around, no doubt about it. When he's there in the morning, uh, there's Beat Bernie at the end of the show in the last half hour, 9 o'clock. And there are tough questions. And Bernie nails him most of the time because he's well-educated. He's well-read. He went to Cardinal Hayes right there on 149th in Grand Concourse. And the guy is good. But when they have Sid doing it, naturally Sid tries to stack the deck. uh, And he just wants to do mostly sports. But before we get into that, let's go into the scam of all scams created by Frank Morano, who uh, does the other five days of the other side of midnight from 1 to 5 in the morning, starting uh, Monday and going to Friday. Then I do the two other nights on the weekends. He has created this concept that if you can get 10 answers correct in 60 seconds, you can win $1,000. And I've always said he doesn't have $1,000 to put up. And the reason he makes it so difficult is he doesn't want to pay $1,000. And I know he knew I was going to come on and slay his dragon this weekend again, as I've been doing previous weekends. And I guess he decided he was going to pick, what can we call him? A ringer. And apparently somebody won that yesterday. <laughs> How convenient to have somebody win it right before I come to the airwaves and do my 22 hours over the weekend where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. By the way, so I take you to 6 this morning. Then so nice I do it twice. I'm back from 2 to 4 in the afternoon. Then I go out do some guardian angel work, and then I come back 12 midnight to 6 again. Uh, that's uh, Sunday morning. Then I battle the uh, aggressive progressive, Chris Hahn, from 3 to 5. And then a few hours later, I'm back from uh, 9 to 1 before I have to hand off the uh, 50,000 powerful watts of sound to the Mongolooch, uh, the Mamaluke Frank. And that last hour, 12 to 1, is the most uh, in demand, the most desired, and the most listened to of any of my 22 hours on the weekend. That's the Animal Welfare Show featuring my wife Nancy, the animal rescuer, from 12 midnight to 1 in the morning. Boy, that's a lot of Curtis broadcasting. But it really bothers me when I hear that contest, 4 o'clock every morning. $1,000, if you can answer 10 questions... In one minute. In fact, Bruce, uh, let's p- play one of the recent contests in which you'll hear how flummoxed the, condes- the contestant becomes. All right, it's time for one lucky, lucky person to try their hand at answering 10 questions within 60 seconds. It's time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. And let's meet today's contestant, Edie, in Manalapan, New Jersey. Hello there, Edie. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Have we spoken before, Edie? Um, you know, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not with you, but I love your show, Frank. And oh. originally, I'm from Staten Island. Well, of course, that's what I was going to Everybody in Manalapan is from Staten Island. Uh, Absolutely. And, and there's, um, there's generally two places that you move from Staten Island. You either move to Manalapan or Marlboro. Usually, if you're Jewish, you move to Marlboro. If you move to, and if you're Gentile, you move to Manalapan. 
There you go. You got it in a nutshell. That's right. Uh, so uh, I like Manalpin. I have a lot of friends there, obviously, because every single person I grew up with moved to either Manalpin or Marlboro. All right, Edie, so since you're familiar with the show, you know, uh, you know how it works, right? Okay, so if you answer a question correctly, I'm going to just move on to the next question. Answer. I'm really rooting for you here, and these are easy questions, so don't overthink it. They're not trick questions. Uh, just take a second to think, and then uh, and then answer your question, and then I'll move right on to the next one. I'll start the timer as soon as I finish asking the first question. You ready to go? I am ready. Thank you. All right, Edie. Okay. What does sunscreen prevent? Sunburn. Who is the current Queen of England? Queen Elizabeth. Who played Vito Corleone in the film The Godfather? Uh, Al Pacino. I'm sorry, Edie. It was Marlon Brando. Marlon yeah. Brando. He uh, won the Academy Award for that role, uh, although he didn't accept it. He gave it to Soshin Littlefeather. Uh, and uh, take uh, Edie's information. I like her. We got to send her something nice. Yeah, he probably didn't send her anything. Like, uh, hey Phil, who was the uh, guy that he was a welcher to, who uh, was on with us in the last hour and said that uh, Frank had promised to send him a tchotchke, even though he hadn't gotten ten uh, questions in sixty uh, seconds. Who was that? The guy from New Jersey said Frank was a real welcher. I think Phil. it was John. Yeah. Real Welcher. And you know, Edie, if you're listening out there, you'll never get anything from Frank. He is a Welcher. Anyway, it's spread, though. Now that Sid has been hosting the morning show without Bernard as he's in recovery from stage four prostate cancer, they have beat, beat Bernie, but with Sid. And it's totally rigged. So here, here is uh, Beat Bernie. You got to listen to this. Thank you. Great to be on the show. I called in to discuss the serious mental health crisis on the subways, but you needed a contestant, so I'll embarrass myself by probably <laughs> missing every question. Then he went on. That's, uh, I believe, David from Los Angeles, right? Uh, it's very familiar, the voice. I'm a professional radio talk show caller in the WABC, <laughs> the greatest talk radio station in history. Yeah, how much does that pay an hour? Oh, Justin. Oh, what a Weisenheimer. By the way, Justin, who's the board operator for the morning show, what a piece of work. The other day he was asked by said, hey, who are the best talk radio uh, show hosts or hostesses you've worked with? He named 20 people, some of whom are not even alive. And then he topped it off by saying, Dr. Gil Lederman never mentioned my name, even though I was in the studio with Sid at that time. And then said, oh, I forgot about you. I forgot about you. Anyway, watch how they do the rope-a-dope on Dave from Los Angeles. All right. Which member of the Spice Girls abruptly left the group in 1998? The real name or the character name? It was Baby Spice. Well, no, no, Victoria. Victoria Beckham, the, 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 the soccer wife. Wrong, you two-legged back of Jesus. So you see how quickly they bamboozle them there? Listen, listen to the next question. Baywatch bombshell Pamela Anderson was once married to what 80s heavy metal rocker? Tommy the Schlong Lee. They got it right. But this is when uh, they really screw over the participants. 
Because they start going sports. Watch. You'll watch. Which is playing a Sid's strong spot. And obviously most of the calls, if they wanted sports, what would they listen to? Other stations. Who is the New York Knicks all-time leading scorer? I have no sports gene at all. I don't know. Will Chamberlain? Wrong. You're too like a back of Jesus. So you see that, Will Chamberlain? You can tell this guy doesn't know, you know. Philadelphia 76ers, Los Angeles Lakers, before that, San Francisco Warriors. We could go on and on. Guy had no idea. So they took advantage of the handicap. They took advantage of the handicap. He's going to win so far because he's going to miss the Spice Girls. He'll know the Tommy Lee, and he'll know the sports one. I'm a goner. (laughs) Then they continue. What is this WFAN? I don't know nothing about sports. Give me a guess. Give me a guess. Come on. They set him up. Because they didn't want to give the booby prize away. Now, if Bernard McGurk were there, there would be some really sharp questions that it would be difficult for Bernard to get and also for the person competing. But notice how they – and it's the same guys who basically were working with Frank earlier. And then all of a sudden, because Bernard is not here, he's recovering from stage 4 prostate cancer, they flipped the script and they start assisting Sid to cheat. I accuse Frank Morano and Sid Rosenberg of stacking the deck and cheating. What a double disgrazia. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-848-9222. First up in the queue is Paul, where the hawk is talking in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. What about the Dobbs Ferry Daly shooting scam? Guy's obsessed with Judge Jeanine Pirro. Won't call her on Sundays after Rudy and Dr. Maria. They were on 10 to 11, and then it's Judge Jeanine Pirro. He's frightened by her. He's got pictures of her in a single-room occupancy room. A little bit like Taxi Driver, you know, Travis Bickle. He's a freak. Anyway, let's go to Danny, who's also calling uh, from the Boogie Down Bronx, uh, where the hawk is talking now. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Danny. Yeah, well, our guys, we hate when you say that term about the Bronx, you know. The guys from the Bronx don't use that term. I don't want to tell you that much right now. I went to scale, and they threw me out of scale, and then I went to Spelman. Now, you're talking about kids going to school. What do you think a kid does? He packs his lunch and he... He walks through the housing projects to go to school, baby. They either got on a bus or they were driven to school to Spelman up there. Now, if a kid was stupid enough to walk uh, into an area where there's a lot of kids hanging out, yeah, he could get robbed. You could get robbed on the bus. We went to, we took the bus up there. We went up there. Uh, we went up there off of Batesister Avenue, and it was like seven, eight guys. Who's going to mug us? No one's going to mug us. You know what they did? Up there, I'm not going to say where it was, so we can confirm this, and I'll tell you they're, they're right. They they try to mug two girls, like seven guys try to mug two girls. And coming down the block of the guys you hate, do you know who do you hate? The goombas are coming down the block. They see this. They start running toward the mugging, right? The two guys run on the bus, and they ain't mugging nobody. And the bus driver closes the door. He won't let the goombas on the bus. So the goombas, they surround the bus. They start, listen, folks, they start rocking the bus with the two muggers in the bus. The bus driver is terrified. If anybody here was on that bus, include the bus driver. Steve from Manhattan. Not too bad. Not too bad, right? It got, got through you, Phil, but this one was pretty good. 
this, uh, this one was pretty good. Steve from Manhattan, who could easily call a Steve from Manhattan and then give his tagline, like his hashtag, Go Buchanan, Go Buchanan, Go Buchanan. But he, shoot, I, you know, he's like an, an actor, a thespian, uh, an actress or an actor. They're not comfortable being themselves, if you notice that. Like, if you ever noticed when De Niro gives an interview, at least when he did years and years ago before he wanted to punch Trump schnoz down his throat, he was very diminutive, uh, very soft-spoken. You would say, oh, my God, is that the – a lot of actors and actresses, they would rather be somebody else. That's why they make such good actors and actresses. They're not comfortable being themselves. I think that's true of Steve in Manhattan. Go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Ken. Wow, that's three in a row in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard where the Hawk is talking on WABC, Kenny. Hello, how you doing, Curtis? I'm calling to... No, 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 hold on a second, hold on a second. What a guy will <sighs> Three in a row we had, right? Three in a row, Bruce. When they call up, how you doing? After I've explained extensively at great length, if you ask me how am I doing, my knee-jerk reaction under any and all circumstances, I could have just won Powerball in the lottery, right? Which I could really use. And I'd say I have better days. Kabish, Ken? Kabish? Kabish. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm calling to defend the honor of the Frank Movado after midnight uh, listeners and contestants for the 10 questions in one minute contest. I am the winner last night. No, no, no. Wait a second. You won, Ken? That would be me. I'm the winner from last night. Did he feed you the answers because he knew I was going to give him a verbal beatdown come Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Did he? Come on. Be honest. He fed you the answers. No, he did not. I did him right on my head, top of my head. I'm a real person. And I answered the 10 questions in one minute last night. I'm the first $1,000 winner. Did he send you the money? Did he uh, uh, Western Union it to you right away? Things are being arranged. It, it, it's on its way. Oh, that's sort of like the check is in the mail, guy, Ken. You're not going to buy that. Frank is known as the biggest welcher going. No, I, I got the emails and everything's being arranged. I'm telling everything's you, Ken, being Ken, Ken, just a word of caution. This guy is a welcher. He never delivers on his promise when it comes to money. Ken. I don't think I don't think Mr. Casamatitas would allow that. What? I think everything will be fine. Everything will be on the up and up. John would clearly pay it out because obviously he's a very generous guy. But see, Frank thought he could get away with it for months, for weeks, uh, where he wouldn't have to pay out. Uh, where he could tease everybody, and he gets a vicarious thrill out of teasing everybody and then watching them get answer number seven, answer number eight, and boom, you know, it's a minute, and they don't get it. And then he promises them. You heard the other caller, John from uh, Jersey. He promises them a tchotchke and never sends anything, Ken. No, I, I think he's on the up and up. I, everything was on the up and up last night. I got all ten questions in one minute. Okay, but Ken, you don't have the money in your hand, right? Everything's being arranged. I got the paperwork, emails, everything's being arranged. It's on its way. Ken, uh, I realize... I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident. Oh, pretty confident. 
Not notice. Now about. you said I'm pretty confident, not totally confident. Well, not if he actually did it in your hand, you know. Yeah, well, you know, because hand. you know him, he wiggles out of commitments. He's mm-hmm. like Usnit, a snake. You got to be careful, Ken, with this guy. You know, this I'll is what he's going to. This is what he's going to say. I, I can almost predict it. You're on, almost 24 hours uh, from the point where you won the contest, and he has to give you a thousand dollars. He'll do an Art Rush Jr. And he'll say, oh, I'll, I'll pay you uh, the next week. You know, uh, we had to get uh, Enfamil for Carmine, who's now 20 pounds. He was born on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, uh, my wife, Rachel, uh, she has to go in for her test. We're, our insurance is run out. We have to pay cash on the line at, you know, one of those storefront uh, voodoo doctor locations. He will He's a baloney bender, Ken. No, 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 no. And no, it ain't, no. it ain't, fact, it ain't Boris head either. Back. It's chicken baloney. I get it. Yeah, it's I'll chicken baloney that he bends. The cheapest chicken, cheapest baloney imaginable, Ken. I, I don't think so, Curtis. I don't I'm, think I'm so. warning you, Ken. I look, I like you, Ken. You're, you're so gullible. You're so impressionable. You so want to believe that Frank Morano is going to deliver on the $1,000. He won't give you belly button land, Ken. No, he'll pay off. I think the cup, everything will be fine. Now, what Without happens? Media will take care of everything. What happens if he begs off on poverty and he only sends you $5 a week? Would you accept that? I'll accept that. Wow, you'll accept that. Because you know you may get nothing. Ubats. Uh, Ugats. You may get bupkis. I'll accept because I'll accept I'm fine with it. And I'll continue to be a listener. Now, Ken, I did warn you, right? I've been warned, Curtis. I'll continue to be a listener. All right. You guys guys are great. Okay. All right. Look, look. What do they say? What do they say? A sucker is born every five seconds. Isn't I'll that the term? I'll call you back when I get the check. Yeah, I'll yeah. call you back when I get the check. Yeah, yeah, you do that. Yeah, the check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. Oh my God! What is it? Everybody's calling from the Bronx. Let's go to Larry. Uh, your turn to be heard here, where the hawk is talking at WABC, Larry. Hey, only pigeons are screaming in my neighborhood. Steve from Manhattan. Boy, he cuts through Phil like a buzz uh, saw in a burning forest. Man, I'm telling you, Phil, this is what you do. It's a trick that Frank Morano, the Mongoluch, uh, the Mameluke did. Spent 20 minutes describing how he took a paper clip to get the wax out of his ears. A paper clip. Could you try that, Phil? And if you puncture your eardrum... Just call up Frank Morano, not me, please. Let's go to Karen calling all the way from Rockland County where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. I have, I almost I almost heard it. <laughs> Take that back. Ah. I, I attended George Washington High School in a year. I'm surprised they still have that name on the high school. Yeah, you're right. If Eric Adams has his way, he's going to get rid of Thomas Jefferson High School, Pennsylvania Avenue, George Washington, and uh, Washington Heights. But I remember my grandparents, I don't know if you're familiar with the Isabella Nursing Home. Yes, yes. They, uh, you know, they lived there for many years, and their 
the window from their living room uh, faced into the George Washington High School classrooms. <laughs> I said, I don't want to see George Washington High School. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, so but it, it's, is, uh, it's 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 beautiful. It's up on that hill, high bridge. It overlooks uh, the Harlem River. You can look over to right, the Bronx. It's beautiful, but the area now is uh, well. It wasn't well, that great when I was going pretty, there. Pretty rough. Unfortunately, pretty rough. But I want as far as uh, Eric Adams and our lovely governor. Yes. You know, he keeps talking about getting the anti-crime unit back. Stop talking about it and do it before we have another murder. Yes. Yes. You know, and, gov- and governor, this stupid governor, I mean, she's worrying about her base for the election. That's why she's not getting rid of that Alvin Brick. I wouldn't vote for a politician like that who only thinks about themselves and their own voting rather than taking care of the public. Now, remember, remember, Karen, her last name, I've given her a new name, is Hokum, which means nonsense because she's always filled <laughs> with nonsense. She has a press conference and she spews nonsense, nonsense. And people say, oh, it's so much better than Andrew Evilized Cuomo, you know, who is like Governor mm-hmm. Thug. But please, she's full of nonsense, Karen. <laughs> I mean, I don't like her. I mean, I wouldn't even consider her for governor next year when I go to the voting. No, in fact, uh, now you are registered Democrat or Republican. Independent. Okay, independent. So you I can. I got rid of that name. Well, you know, I, I don't. First of all, I, I've always had problems with the, you know, the uh, Republican. They should get rid of those labels altogether. You're right. Just vote for the candidate. Right. Non. I would have voted if you. I don't live in New York City, so. Right, but you see, if you were a Democrat, you could have voted for me two, three, four times if you were in Rockland County. I don't want to be insulted by being called a Democrat. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> what you're referring to is nonpartisan elections, which, believe it or not, both I and Frank Morano support. One of the few times we agree on something. Yeah. yeah I have a very good uh, – if you ever run for mayor or any, uh, any ad, I have a great ad for you. Um, have a kitchen room table – with a bunch of cats sitting around, you can even have your wife sitting there with a uh, plate of English muffins. And then you can t- be talking about that because I said that you know every nook and cranny of the city. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant, Karen. <laughs> and I love English muffins. Thomas's English muffins. Not yep. not the generic kind, you know, what they used to no, give I you generic, like generic English muffins. You go to the cafeteria, right? Uh, Builder C. Junior High School, the old uh, blue-haired mm-hmm. matrons. And, you know, on Friday it would be pizza day. So they would have these uh, generic muffins, not the uh, Thomas English muffin. And they would put uh, a slice of government uh, brick yellow cheese on it. And then mm-hmm. they would take uh, ketchup and put it on it. And then they put it in uh, and heat it up a little bit, and they would say, "Well, that's pizza." <laughs> that's the worst slop in the I world. Know, just like the bagels today, they, they don't have real bagels. Exactly, today. exactly. It's all dough. All dough, <laughs> and, and you know they don't use the proper, and they're not. They don't know how to bend the bagels. They don't make the bagel benders the way they, they used to. Carry. They're too fat. They're too fat. That's why you can't. Yes. Yeah, and they don't know how to make bialis. I can't find a good bialy. So you can use you can use that ad for your next campaign. No, that is a that is a brilliant, brilliant ad. All the nooks and crannies in the city. Exactly. (laughs) 
There's nobody who knows more about the nooks and crannies, the good, the bad, and the ugly about the five boroughs of the city of New York than yours truly. You are so spot on, Karen. By the way, what high school did you go to, Karen? Oh, George Washington. Ah, uh, you see? Now, that's right. Eric Adams said uh, early on in the campaign that if people were slave owners, he would remove the signage from buildings and street signs. So, you know, there goes George Washington High School, Washington Heights. There goes I'm Tommy. Waiting for, I'm waiting for them to take that name. Boy. Right. Then Another it, thing, did you ever see the movie The Green Book? The Green Book? No. No. What is that about? Oh, well, let me talk. I mean, uh, the people up in Capitol Hill and the professors, they should be forced to sit in a room and watch that movie. It's the best movie that epitomizes black and white relationships. Uh, it was a white chaperone that had to drive uh, this black piano player around, you know, down south. And, uh, you know, with the Green Book, he wasn't allowed to go into all the places, you know, because of that time. Oh, so this was and, the Italian guy from Newark who was driving him around, right? Or from New Jersey? Right, yeah, they won the best movie five years ago yes, or something yes, like that. Yes, yes. But that, to me, is the best epitome of black-white relationships. And instead of them spewing all that garbage in Washington and everywhere else, Watch that movie, and, you know, because it shows you the development of the respect and the relationship between these two people, you know, black and white. And, you know, they've learned each other's cultures. And they So this was to... uh, the reverse of driving Miss Daisy. The driver right, was the white and the passenger was uh, African-American, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah, this one I don't, I don't remember the name of the, I don't remember their names, but they were both terrific actors, and I think he even won the Best Actor. Now, now, you see, this is the difference between me and Frank Morano, who does five days the other side of Midnight, and I do two days. Is that Frank immediately will tell you, "Oh, I know what, I know, I know," like Horseshack, you know, uh, and Welcome Back, Carter. I know, I know that movie, and then you put him on the spot, and then he knows nothing about nothing. He, but he, if, you ever, if you never saw that movie, you watch it one night with your sister. No, no, it's 16 cats. Uh, and my wife, Nancy, in the 328 square foot apartment, the studio apartment on the Upper West Side. <laughs> where, Karen, uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, chore we have each day is uh, changing uh, the litter boxes three I hate, times. I hate that. I have a calico cat, and oh. she seems to pee and poop oh, all the time. Oh, the calico, you're going to make me cry. I just lost I my I, I favorite cat, cat, Hope, the calico cat that Nancy had rescued that had terminal cancer. She got Aww. her an operation, Hope. She lasted another two years. In the middle of the campaign, remember, Karen, nobody would listen to me. Nobody. Not even my wife, Nancy, and the other cats. Every day when I'd be finished campaigning, 20 hours a day, I would sit there and the calico cat, Hope, would come over and it would stare at me and listen to me. And I could talk to the cat as if the cat understood me. <laughs> <laughs> really? More than these, more than these politicians? Oh my God! <laughs> what a bunch of fake, phony, fraudulent fagazis! And by the one way, time, at, at one time I had twenty-six cats. Because ten years ago I was uh, going on a trip and I went downstairs and I set, stepped on something soft, and I thought I have no fur hats down here. I opened up the light and there was a mother with six kittens. Wow! Uh, I don't know how they got in, but. Uh, you know, then they started reproducing. I saw one time, and they were all feral cats. It was very hard to catch them, ooh, ooh. get them into cages or anything. Oh, you're going to have to be listening tomorrow night, 12 midnight to 1. I'm going to have Nancy 
actually respond to that? Because, you know, she does uh, trapping, spadering, yeah, and neutering. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard, to get, it's hard to get you on the phone. After, after an hour of holding on, I get tired. Well, you know what <laughs> that's from. i I, I got to be perfectly honest. Uh, it's the way Frank Morano has uh, trained the phone screeners. <laughs> they have the mentality of Frank. You know, they're like Mensa, right? Not. <laughs> so the phone screeners, they, they just think, Karen, oh, just put up calls, put up calls. Meantime, they're blocking you and others out, Karen. Uh, because they're slackers, they're deadbeats, they're nor-do-wells, just like Frank Morano. You should see him when he does the show. If you could, go to WABCRadio.tv. That's WABCRadio.tv. They won't put me on the TV because they know I'll blow it up. Instead, they put Frank Morano, and they don't show him. His legs are up. He's like, he's in a position where his head is down. He might as well be sleeping. Some of the topics that he covers, I start sleeping. I have to wake myself up. You know that's true, Karen. I know you know, you, you want to be nice, but he, he puts Curtis, a lot of people a, to sleep. You have a way with words. You ought to make a scrabble game with the words that you uh, use and wow. make up. How about... Ah, the Scrabble game called Sleewonics. Uh, it's a, <laughs> there you go. It's the language that I have created. It's not Ebonics. It's Sleewonics. It's Spoonerisms, <laughs> Malaprops, Fractured Phrases. Oh, this, Karen, you've given me so many good ideas here. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have a friend that lives in Florida, and she's not familiar with you. She's uh, doing a show this week, and... But I told her to look you up with the Guardian Angels. I said, he's, yes, uh, he's yes. been around for 40 years. Yes. 43 <laughs> years, February 13th. 43 years. In 13 countries, 130 cities. And she didn't know who I or the Guardian Angels were, Karen? No, I was surprised. No. Well, you know what? She's probably watching all those shows that Sid Rosenberg uh, watches. You know, the Battling Housewives of Orange County, of Salt Lake City, of Jersey, of New York. I don't know why anybody who watched that crap. And uh, Karen. To me, that is such a waste of time. Let me ask you one question. How unmanly is that for a man to be watching those shows, right? How unmanly is that? Very. I have a, a, a girlfriend that watches all that stuff. You know, the, no, no, I understand uh, that. I understand. Bachelor, but I mean, I said, how many ways you Girls, girls, that's one thing. But a guy like Sid, who pretends to be a man's <laughs> man, and he spends all day watching those Andy Cohen shows. <laughs> I don't even know who he is. Oh, God. Oh, he's the guy, remember, on CNN with Anderson Cooper. They were drunk when the ball was falling, and he started screaming about de Blasio, Get off the stage! Uh, thank God you won't be here next year. Drunk half in the bag. The only reason to ever watch CNN, if they put that kind of programming on each and every night, they would beat Fox News Channel and MSNBC if they were all drunk. <laughs> I don't watch Anderson Cooper. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, man. I don't watch any of them. I mean, I used to love 60 Minutes. No, no, I've no. lost all my taste for Kevin, uh, you wanna news people, politicians. listen to radio because WABC is theater of the mind. You don't need the boob tube. You don't need pictures in front of you. We create the images. We create the pictures so that your mind can digest it, not divest it. Sounded a little bit like Jesse Jackson there. Digest it, not divest it. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Nick calling from New Jersey where the hawk is talking here on WABC. Nikki. Yeah, hello, Curtis. 
Uh, I listened to Morano, uh, that contest that he has for quite a while, and I noticed it's very difficult to have anyone to win. I, I don't catch it every night. I assume that people hit it every now and then. But last night I was listening, and I learned that I learned that there was an individual who actually who hit it, and uh, I noticed that Morano immediately after the guy hit, he had all ten questions. Somebody from the Bronx, as soon as he aced the, the quiz, Morano immediately tried to disqualify this guy because Morano was insinuating that that uh, the person wasn't actually from the Bronx, like he might have like violated some of the fine print in, in the, in the uh, contract where he, because maybe the guy said he was from the Bronx and he wasn't. But the guy reassured him, no, I am from the Bronx. And then Morano was amicable and, and, and said he would give him the money. But I didn't like the fact that Morano was so f- – I learned last night that nobody ever hit this. This was the first time somebody hit. And Morano was so quick – to try to disqualify this guy because maybe he wasn't from the Bronx. That's what Miranda was insinuating, or maybe the call screen had told him that or something. But it's it's, it's bad form, you know. It's 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 dirty. It's not cricket to to, you know, the guy hit it legitimately, and Morano immediately tried to uh, 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 disqualify him. I noticed that really happened. Let me he tell you something, Nick. It is, I told you Frank Morano is a welcher. I told you that when push came to shove, if anybody got close or nailed 10 questions uh, in 60 seconds, one minute, that he would figure out a way not to pay off. And look at the guy, the poor guy from the Bronx. He says, I, uh, I think I trust Frank. Notice he went from completely complicit trust to I think I trust Frank because he knows the history of Frank Morano. He's a welcher. Well, in the end, the individual probably made a bad deal with uh, with uh, ABC when he said he would accept the five dollars a week, because that puts him in a very bad uh, negotiating position. Yes. Because I mean, I don't, I don't want to nitpick, but but no, it really is true. You can play that tape. As soon as the guy hit, Morano tried to find a way to disqualify this person. I thought it was terrible. The guy legitimately hit, answered all ten questions in, in a. Uh, You know what that reminds me of, Nick? Uh, And that is so down low of Frank Morano, but so, so normal for him. Imagine you're going into the casino Atlantic City, and you're winning at blackjack, you're winning at poker, and then all of a sudden you're you're ready to cash in your chips, and they accuse you of counting cards, Nick. They accuse you of counting cards, even though you won it legitimately. It's a a similar uh, uh, analogy. It's actually... It was, it was kind of like that. And I never thought that Mr. Morano was that type of person. It said Morano should have been clapping and applauding and saying, congratulations, you're the first guy. To hit but he didn't do that. He tried. The first thing out of his mouth, Curtis, was that uh, uh, it comes to my attention, something along the lines, I'll paraphrase, it's come to my attention that maybe you're not from the Bronx and perhaps so we can't, uh, we can't. He, he wanted to disqualify the guy. This really happened. If Nick, Nick, what a what a what a low life Frank is, right? What a what a snake in the grass that he wouldn't do. He wouldn't do the payoff that he's been promising for months, thinking that this would be impossible and nobody's going to hit it. Now all of a sudden, the guy hits it and he doesn't want to pay off. He's a welcher. 
One other thing, Curtis, about that contest, I noticed that they ease you in. The questions begin in a very gentle fashion, and it seems like 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 amazingly easy to to succeed. However, by the time you get, if you can manage to get up to seven, eight, and nine, he asked. It, it, it does seem a bit rigged uh, because he'll ask a question like with Morano's contest, for example, when they get near the end, he'll say, who was the vice the United States vice president in 1848? And who in Sam Hill would know the answer to that? I mean, come on. I mean, that, that's evidence right there of like it, the thing is. Rigged. And one other thing before I go, I don't want to keep, call, keep this line going because uh, I know you got all the calls, but. But uh, with Sid Rosenberg, with that contest, I noticed that, again, the guy called up, that guy that you met, that, the example you brought, the guy from L.A., uh, uh, he wasn't good on sports. Yes. And, and, the, and the quiz was weighted, right, weighted heavily right into Sid's wheelhouse. I didn't like that. You know, Sid's a, a, a ringer of a sports yep. a person. How cool could beats if the questions, are, the topics of the questions include sports, how could anybody beat Sid? It's just not fair. Bernie, Bernie uh, would never have done that. Bernie's fair and square. If you beat him, he's a man's man. He accepts it, but he's well-read. He's well-versed. He knows a lot. He wins most of the contests. But when he loses, uh, he is a, a straight-up loser. He's not a sore loser. You know, like Frank, it's, it's sore loser. Yeah. But anyway, Nick and everybody else out there listening, I need you to listen to as much of WABC as you can because I need you to rat out what these other hosts and hostesses are doing, which uh, really taints the image of WABC. What is the one thing that John Katzmatidis has always said? I want there to be truth. I don't care where the chips fall. I just want there to be truth. So when all of a sudden they do the rope-a-dope, when all of a sudden they, they put forward these scams, as Frank has done with this uh, $1,000 question, you know, if you get 10 uh, questions right in uh, 60 seconds, you get $1,000. And same thing with Sid now, everything's all sports. When the reason that people listen to WABC, it's not for sports. They could go to ESPN or WFAN. Well, uh, diabolical. Plays right into right, plays right into Sid's wheelhouse, and yeah, no, and no, he, no. This is you know, this is making me want to soil myself, uh, Nick. Just going over all this to think how diabolical, how nefarious they have been. And remember, it's probably together because it's the mutual love society. Frank Morano says, oh, Sid Rosenberg, he's the best talk radio show host here at WABC. And then uh, Sid Rosenberg returns the favor when he comes on at 6 and says, oh, Frank Morano, he's the best talk radio show here at WABC. You scratch my belly, I scratch yours. Telling you what this is. This is a double disgraziata. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Jimmy calling from Staten Island. Uh, the Hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hello, Curtis. I'm so disgusted with all these games. Please give me a break. A reminder when the Joker was wild and all the games were rigged. Manga <laughs> bagab about the games. Let's talk about real life. Yes, Gavish. yes, yes. Gavish. I'm disgusted. 
I'm disgusted with all this. And uh, let's talk about the murdered cops. Let's talk about the insanity. Yes. Let's talk about the inflation. Let's talk about that bag of dust in the White House. Mm. Let's talk about things that that really hit the heart. I have a niece and a nephew. They're on the force for about 14 years. And when they go out that door, believe you me, I say my prayers because I pray to God they came home to they come home to two beautiful three beautiful great nieces and nephews I have. But let me tell you, Frank Morano, yeah, I'm still waiting for the mug. It's over three months. I got three questions right. Oh well let's take his name and number. Let's take his name and number. And where is it? I'm still drinking out of styrofoam cups that are banned. <laughs> but Mangalagab, I don't care. <laughs> but Larry, you know it's the proverbial, it's in the mail. Yeah, but I'm Jimmy. Oh, my mistake, Jimmy. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm going a little botch here. You know, well, ba- let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Yes. Whether you believe I'm blowing smoke or not, go right on ahead. I have listened to you from day one when you've come out, and I hear people today, they say, well, if we only walked around in a suit and a hat and a this and a that, I'll go to go to this guy to get a fancy suit. No, if he if you would have came out like that, I would have said, "Good night, good night, Curtis. That ain't you. You are who you are." And That's if people right. don't like it, yet the fanabla tutto quando tutto goza. Hey, look at this, Jimmy. Uh, you saw Eric Adams when he was Brooklyn Borough President. He would have he destroyed on, Brooklyn. Oh, there's no doubt. But notice how he dressed then. He would have the windbreaker. It would say on it, Brooklyn Borough President. He would wear uh, slacks, you know, simple slacks. He would have, like, uh, sneakers. He would wear dark sneakers. Now, all of a sudden, he's wearing Ferragamos. He's got tailored suits that, you know, Pablo Escobar used to head the Medellin cartel, all the cocaine in the world in <laughs> Colombia, have tailored suits like that. What do you need tailored suits like that for, Jimmy? I know. For what reason? Well, if you've been down too fast, we're going to rip all your pants. Exactly. And now that then he's got... Of, he's putting on airs. So what about Bragg? Why don't we go after him and just hang him in effigy? Why? Oh, but you, no, you notice, you notice uh, that Eric Adams defends Bragg by saying, oh, he's a good prosecutor. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work this all out. Work this out. They'll work us over, Jimmy. Absolutely. They're doing it right. But I want to, I want to leave you with one thing. Yes, like yes, said, Jimmy. Yes, yes. you got a lot of other people oh, out of there. Of course. They're all boys. I want to know why. I want to know why. That this guy, all of a sudden, he was going to do this, he was going to do that, he was going to do that. And so far, we've had two, three murders. And that poor Asian woman or Filipino woman to be thrown to her death Mm. like that. I mean, what do you do with a guy like that? Say, all right, go home, get a disc, as you say. Think of it, it, Jimmy. Here it is. The Asian woman gets thrown into the tracks and Saturday morning was 10 o'clock. We're just a few hours away from it being a week since she was thrown in front of that uh, art train at Times Square. And then a day later, Eric Adams has a press conference with all the lying officials. Uh, he says, oh, no, it's your presumption that crime is up in the subway. Crime is actually down. Look at the analytics. And then he had uh, Congresswoman Grace Meng who uh, represents that Forest Hill, Flushing area, uh, Middle Village, 
who was saying, hey, uh, look, look, uh, that's that's not anti-Asian crime. He would have done that to any woman. He did it to an Asian woman. There's been a 360% increase in attacks on Asians, hate crimes. And here is the highest elected Asian official, Chinese-American, Congresswoman Meng, saying it wasn't a crime of hate against an Asian. (sighs) Eric Adams may have used her like a a puppet, and he was her puppeteer. What's her payout going to be for claiming it wasn't an attack on an Asian and part of the incredible number of attacks on Asians that have been occurring in New York City since the lockdown was imposed upon us by the combination of the two Italian stallions, Andrew Evilize Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the dope from Park Slope. 363% increase. There's never a dull moment here. New York's talk station. This is Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, let me tell you, earlier tonight, went out to dinner. It was a great dinner with the great Vito Bruno from Bay Ridge. Oh, man, this is one of the greatest. um, This is one of the greatest. we call him combination producer, promoter, used to own clubs of all time. And Nancy was enjoying herself. I enjoyed uh, myself. Then I went over, did a Newsmax hit, then came over here to join Rita Cosby along with my Kumbada Chich, Rudy Giuliani, to give you the updated details on the uh, uh, killing of the police officer at 135th Street in Harlem. The shooting of the other police officer who uh, is barely holding on at Harlem Hospital. And their shooting of the uh, person who uh, began all this, who unfortunately will probably survive. And then in the uh, dinner, both Vito Bruno and Nancy were asking me, Hey, I understand, how's your your physical uh, being, Vito said, because the last time you saw me, I had the double fractures, and my arm was in a sling. I said, I've dealt with that. But just last uh, Friday, a week ago in the morning when I came over to help Sid Rosenberg because uh, Bernard couldn't be here, uh, he was going through uh, the process of dealing with a stage 4 prostate cancer, uh, I took a cab here to the studios at WABC because I wanted to take the C or the B train, but because of all the absences due to the conductors and motormen coming down with positive COVID tests, 20% of them uh, on the shelf, I ended up taking the cab, paid the cab driver, reached inside to get my bag, and instead of waiting patiently, he drove right over my feet. Ah! An SUV, the rear tires. And last night it was kicking. My dogs were barking. I'm telling you, barking. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. In the next hour, we got to talk about the demise of Meatloaf. i got to be perfectly honest. I hated his music, every one of his songs. It made me want to projectile vomit. But I know that probably some of you are Meatloaf fans. Maybe you can tell me why, or maybe you will join me in solidarity and say, I never liked Meatloaf, not even when Mommy put it on the table. 
you know, with the spuds, the mashed potatoes, and the peas and carrots. Anyway, let's get back to the phones. Oh, it's a great jam by the old Cool and the Gang, Jersey City, Poppy, Papa Bell, and all the other Bell brothers. This is uh, Summer Madness, as opposed to the winter. Winter sadness we played earlier in the show. Let's go to Uncle Willie, who's calling from New Jersey, where the hawk is talking, right here on WABC, Uncle Willie. Kurt, going to keep it quick because I'm driving on Route 80. Uh, what do you see in the crystal ball of yours on St. Patrick's Day? Are we going to have a parade? And if so, uh, are we going to have, like, a rowdy parade, a protest parade, or a gay parade? What do you think? Wow, that's an interesting question because that's in March. So if Dr. Fauci has its way, uh, the leprechauns will have to be wearing uh, three masks apiece. They'll have to be socially distanced. So when you chase them with your shillelagh and try to get the pot of gold, you'll have to make sure you're socially distanced. I think they'll cancel the parade. I really think they'll cancel the parade. Now, I know a lot of you say, oh, no, that's impossible. Uh, All of uh, March is dedicated to St. Patrick's Day parades everywhere where you can find people with freckles. It's Pearl River, the Irish Riviera, right, in Rockland County. We get many callers from there. Spring Lake, the Irish Riviera on the Jersey Shore. We get a lot of callers from there. Then there's Breezy Point, the private community. Oh, that's the Irish Riviera, along with Rockaway and the Ponset, Broad Channel. Right, right, right. We can keep going on and on and on. By the way, there was Uncle Willie, right, as opposed to Uncle Floyd. How many of you remember Uncle Floyd? I know he's still at it there. I remember he used to perform at Tottawa, the Ice Palace. Yeah, Uncle Floyd. Uh, Frank Morano, to his credit, had Uncle Floyd on on numerous occasions. Uh, this guy was like vaudevillian. I'll never forget, he was on NBC. Remember, late at night, I was in West Cleveland organizing the Guardian Angels there, and I was staying at the home of the chapter leader and his wife, sleeping on the couch, watching Uncle Floyd while they were sleeping because they had to get up and go to work in the morning, and they had three kids that they had to get off to school, and they had a pit bull terrier. And the pit bull terrier, I remember, was having nightmares. He, you know, he was shaking on the floor. And all of a sudden, I went up like I had to go to the bathroom. And the pit bull terrier put his jaws around my ankle and squeezed. And then I just sat there, squeezing the cheeks of my tuchus because I didn't want to have an accident there. Sat on the Castro convertible couch and watched the rest of Uncle Floyd playing the piano and telling stale jokes as if he were on vaudeville. Anyway, up next, I want to do this. I want you to clean the boards, Phil, after this. Clean the boards, because we're going to be talking about the demise of Meatloaf, who at one time was selling like 60 million albums in one shot, a total of 100 million albums. He was like, what? 76, 77, number one, second, and none. And I never liked any of his music. Not even when he mentioned Phil Rizzuto. Holy cow! Phil Rizzuto from Hillside in New Jersey, right next to Elizabeth in Newark. What was the name of his wife, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Protecting America. Because this is a hot issue. And so much more. Listen now. Go to WABCRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. God, I hate meatloaf. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Look, I have an eclectic group of uh, likes and dislikes when it comes to uh, music. I just never got meatloaf. What was 74, 75? He like blew up. Anyway, I'd love to hear from all of you with his demise, his passing. Maybe you agree with me. You just couldn't stand all those times they'd be spinning stacks of wax, top 40, and it was meatloaf. And they'd say, like, I got to listen to talk radio. I, I'm not listening to any music stations. There was a time there, what, 74, 75, 76? That's all you heard was meatloaf. And I never liked meatloaf when it came with mashed potatoes and peas and carrots. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, to all of the listeners, I need you to listen to all, all the hours that Frank Morano broadcasts. I know that's a lot. That's 20 hours a week, 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning before the hour of news. And the reason I need you to listen f- four hours each morning five mornings a week, which equals 20 hours of Frank Morano, is I need you to rat him out to me. Because you know what it is, he'll deny. He does the DID when I confront him. He denies it, he ignores it, he delays doing anything about it. And the only way I get his attention where he can't do the rope-a-dope and all of a sudden, uh, you know, tell little fibs, little lies, big lies, is when I actually go to the audio tape and I play it and I say, this is you, Frank. And then there's no denying it. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. And I believe that Meatloaf actually perished because he caught the coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19. I don't know if he had the Omicron, uh, the uh, version from South Africa, or uh, the uh, Indian version, uh, the variant. Although now they're claiming that in our waste here in New York City and in uh, cities like San Francisco and I believe in Dallas, 
that they found that there were samples of Omicron before the South African authorities said that they had discovered that virus, that variant, in their population base, which would suggest it didn't come from South Africa. Anyway, we may tackle that tomorrow. But apparently, uh, Meatloaf, he was an anti-vaxxer, anti-masker. He's quoted as saying, if I die, I die, but I'm not going to be controlled. Uh, At the age of 74... He perished, but apparently until the day he died, he was opposed to pandemic restrictions, slamming lockdowns and mass mandates, and he had a lot of preconditions. You know, he lost a lot of weight later on in his life, but he still had the preconditions, and he had a serious case of asthma. But many people, when they talk about the life and times of meatloaf now, they compare him to Eric Clapton, to Van Morrison, who are anti-lockdown anti-vaxxers, even though Eric Clapton had the vaccine at first but had a very bad reaction to it and has been totally anti-vax, anti-lockdown, anti-mask ever since. But think of it. Meatloaf sold 65 million albums, the one titled The Monster is Loose, and they adored him in the U.K. even after his time here on the American scene had vanished. Sort of like the way they continue to love Jerry Lewis, the comedian in France, even though his star had faded here in America, uh, except for the Labor Day broadcast uh, for MS. You know, the 24-hour broadcast that Russ, Russ Salzberger said he used to do from Channel 9, the Superstation, uh, when they were part of that network. But uh, what was it? Well, loved in Germany. Hasselhoff, right? Uh, Hasselhoff. They, they love his singing in Germany. Here, we say, oofa. In Germany, they can't get enough. I'm trying to think. He was in Rocky Horror. I'm pretty sure that uh, Meatloaf was in Rocky Horror. And I think he played the part of Eddie, although I stand to be corrected. I liked him best in Fight Club. Oh, yeah. One of the greatest movies of all time, Norton. Punching himself out. Remember, he punched himself right into that trophy case. Was that not great? And then pretty boy there who married Mother Earth with like 52,000 children there. Wasn't he great? From the heartland of America near Springfield, Missouri. Who am I talking about there? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And he tells the story. He was born and raised in Big D, Dallas, Texas. And his dad was like uh, just a lush, a drunk. And he would go with his mother because he'd be spending all the times rescuing uh, his father uh, from the gin mills because he was drunk as a skunk. Hmm. He actually did Shakespeare in the park. Yeah. In Central Park. Shakespeare in the park. And hair. Yeah, hair. The musical hair. Did you know that? Did you know that about me, love? Of course you didn't. All you knew was those stupid songs he would sing that would be top 40 and they would play them over and over and over ad nauseum. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Uh, if we can, uh, let's go to Chris, who's calling all the way from the Catskills where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. you got to train the engineers. What happened to the hawk noise? Did you lose the tape? Now, we had some uh, problems earlier this evening uh, with our connections uh, to our computer. So we're just going what we call 
low budget, no frills right now to make sure we get through to the 6 o'clock hour? So the meatloaf story, uh, when I was like 14 and a half, family vacation, Cape Cod, Yarmouth Theater, misty night in August, saw the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show with my older sister and my parents uh, and meatloaf. That's what I was going to say. Meatloaf was in it. I saw it on television. And that was, I want to say they said it was six years or seven years before, nine years before Bat Out of Hell. The album. So, which album sold the most? Bad out of hell. The one you said five minutes ago. I think the monster is loose. I think, but remember, I'm not a meatloaf fan, aficionado, groupie, yeah. sickle fan, totally a lackey. Now, you saw him first in Cape Cod on television. No, no, in the theater. Oh, in theater. Okay. Now, did you go all throughout that area, Plymouth, Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard? No, nah, you know, the pe- nah, there was all these, because I was a teenager, and I didn't really, you know, my mother knew about it. My sister, she, my sister was 17, going, going on 18, and the people were throwing the Great Scott toilet paper when they say Great Scott. So there were, people were dressed up in costumes. So this was uh, 82, August 82. Now, when you saw Rocky Horror for the first time, did you become a devotee and want to go to a... No, 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 no. It's kind of a, I don't know, man. You know, like, uh, analogously, as, you know, someone that watches a little film, um, you know, like uh, Quentin Tarantino Pulp Fiction kind of queezes me out a little with the drug usage. The Rocky Horror is just kind of a little weird, you know? I think, I think... I appreciate the uh, theater aspect. Chris, I think anyone who grew up uh, going to Rocky Horror every Saturday night, I think they played it at about midnight, and repeating the lines, lip-syncing the lines, and dressing up as their favorite characters, eventually, when they became adults, might actually have been competing in swimming, uh, and although they may have started as a male, ended up competing as a female. I really do, because you talk about uh, a transgendered uh a look Rocky Horror did. I think people uh, people there were sort of like almost asexual. Well, it was like 40 years ahead of its time, I guess. Hey, Curtis, I just want to say a compliment. You know, I think uh, you, you're you a brilliant marketer bringing up, uh, you know, your other uh, uh, radio host. But, you, you know, you, I'd say you and Sean Hannity and Chris Mad Dog Russo are the three best at carrying airtime by themselves as radio hosts that I've ever, I'm kind of a little aficionado, you know? Wow. And you know who's not too bad on your radio station? He's pretty damn good at that. He probably learned from Imus, who was good, too. Is Sid Rosenberg's not bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you a question, Chris. Uh, in the Catskills, do you live in the uh, Irish Alps there or in the no, Jewish no, Himalayas? No, no. You and I talked about this. I'm, like, probably 35 miles towards the Hudson River south into civilization from where uh, Bernie's dad lives. Oh, wow. And how long have you been there? Of my life? Yeah. 40, uh, about 41 years. So you remember the Concord, the big hotel, Browns, Grossinger's? My father grew up in that part of the Catskills. Wow, it's too bad. Yeah, I'm like uh, I'm like an hour, 20 minutes, hour and a half from where you're talking about. Uh, too bad you didn't get a chance to bust tables and play Simon Says. See, I would have preferred that for Frank Morano. Can you imagine if uh, Frank Morano had gone up, what was that, Route 47? 
uh, to all the big hotels and had been a counselor there where he had to bus tables. And Duke Simon says, can you ever imagine that? I can. I certainly can. Uh, let's go to, uh, Mike, who's calling from New Rochelle, where the Hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mikey. Curtis, I got the answer for Phil Rizzuto's wife, if you still want it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cora. Oh, you couldn't be more hopelessly right. Now I got to take umbrage with you for something you did last week. Here I am listening to you all these years, never taking into consideration the truthfulness of what you say, because it sounded pretty, pretty reliable. You're a good raconteur, but where the hell did you come up with that cockamamie story that Mickey Mantle hit his first home run off a of satchel page? You couldn't be more hopelessly incorrect. No, no, no. Mantle hit his ninth home run off a of satchel page. No, no, no. Nine, nine was, I'm sorry, nine was Roger Maris. You, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. You're talking to a Mickey Mantle fan here. Come on. His ninth home run. You said Mickey Mantle hit his first home run off of Satchel Page. His first home run, Satchel Page, Cleveland Indian. In his waning days, he had just been allowed to get into the major leagues. Unfortunately, if he had been there a lot earlier, he had Cy Young written all over him again and again and again. You, you have disparaged me, Mike. Mantle hit his first home run on May 1st, 1951 in Comiskey Park off of Randy Gumpert. And, and I'll tell you who caught the ball in right field, Giannini Russo. What caught the... it in his mouth while he was breastfeeding a seagull. What the hell are you talking? You see, he thought he could trap me on that. See, Bruce, you see that, Phil? He thought he could trap me. We know he was using Stratatucci there to get the name Russo in there, right? Hey, hey, slip to Mickey. Come on. I know my baseball, huh? Curtis Lee was super sports spectacular. I've done it here at WABC. I remember I was on with Steve Molesberg, and the guy was the sports reporter for the Bergen Record. He's now for the Newark Star-Ledger. I forget his name. I think it's with a K. K. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Then I did uh, post-Yankee shows after uh, John Sterling, who had never shut up for the post-game show. Here it is, the Yankees lost, and John Sterling going on and on, a real masochist. Like, why would you want to listen to the post-game show if you're a Yankee fan and they had lost that game? That's adding insult to injury. And then, of course, when I was uh, hired by Tim McCarthy to do mid-morning show ESPN Saturdays following Warner Wolf, it was called Yankee Med Talk. And uh, the boys in Bristol called up Tim McCarthy and said, better get rid of that guy. He's riffing on Bud Selig, uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball. I said he had a bad uh, bad rug on his head. The polyester waffle weed flame retardant pants that made it look like he was ducking floods in the Mississippi and the Missouri River. And I got fired because of that. Speaking my mind. First Amendment rights of free speech. Which proves you don't have free speech in radio. You say something that offends the owners or operators, they kick you to the curb. Anyway, let's go to Kurt, my namesake, calling from Staten Island where the Hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kurt. Uh, thanks for taking my call again, Curtis. My pleasure. I figure you're a big meatloaf fan. You sound like one. And, and, and yes, I was, man. That guy was, you know, he not only his music, but I didn't know until yesterday when I heard that he died. And I looked at he he acted in over 65 movies, including Rocky Horror Picture Show that you were talking about. 
Oh, the best, though, is Fight Club. None better than that. Oh, and Fight Club, too. They also brought it up. But I want to tell you, he was only married twice. That's it? Uh, Huh? That's it? Only two times? Yeah, Deborah Gillespie. And they don't give her maiden name, but Leslie Aday, his last name. Wow, you were a real fan. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know, because I, I love this. I mean, the guy, he had a great voice, man. You know, he actually played here in the St. George Theater. Wow, the St. George Theater. On yeah, on Staten Island, yeah. I, I went uh, there, a, and, and I saw when they, after they had refurbished it, uh, put it back the way it used to be, a gorgeous theater. I saw Tony Bennett there. Oh, really? Yeah, story of kid, yeah. You, you, know, you know, I saw there, uh, I think it was about two years ago, on July, uh, July 11th, with the Mavericks. I love those guys. Too. You ever heard of them? Oh, yeah, the Dallas Mavericks, yeah. There's, no, 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 no. The band, the Mavericks, they're a country band. I wait, like. wait, wait, Mark Cuban on Sharks. Uh, what are you talking about? CNBC, Mark Cuban, the billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks. I know what I'm talking about here, Kurt. No. You see, you're trying to throw a screwball past me. I know the Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks. They got two of the best white boy Europeans in all of basketball. I can't even pronounce their names. What are they, from Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia? Who knows? They're just good. Yeah, yeah, Mark Cuban, you know, on Sharks. I've seen him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to tell me. He's trying to pull a fast one on me, huh? Huh? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Don in Connecticut, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Don. What's up, Curtis? How you doing, man? Oh, my God, am I. How many times do I tell you out there, all of you, I'm going to have to send you to a re-education camp, not like the Uyghurs. We'll talk about them tomorrow. And that Udubu co-owner. Uh, of the San Francisco Warriors. But, Don, don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm just going to tell you knee-jerk reaction. I've had better days. Kabish, Kabish, Don? I get it, man. All you right, bet. All right, all right. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead. Let's straighten you out a little bit on the meatloaf thing oh, here. Is okay. I wasn't a fan exactly either. Hmm. And, hmm. But I was, uh, I was a union pit musician in 1972, 73, 74, 75, working for the union on Broadway. And meatloaf was there. Like all the time, man. He was always a fill in in all kinds of different shows. I mean, I did the original. Uh, I was in the pit for uh, Andrea McArdle, you know, original Annie, all those shows. I did a zillion of them. But I mean, you know, I was only on the apprenticeship program. But anyway, Meatloaf was there all the time. What he did with the rock and roll gig, man, is that all he did is that he took that Broadway over the top melody a la drama, a la tell a story, and combined it with rock and roll. That was the meatloaf kick, man. Now, when you That's said he was there all the time, he was in the pit? No, no, man. He was on stage. He was always an extra. Ah, yeah. an extra. He did extra on everything, man. He would, might have oh. been singing back up in this and the pit. Sometimes he was an extra on Broadway there. Like, you know, they do they give him a little walk on, that sort of thing, for a fat guy gig. They have to be. And that cut you know. And, uh, yeah, man, is that, that's what he was. He was a really nice guy to talk to. Uh, but you could tell he was working on something. And that's what that was. So Meatloaf Music, yeah, I know. He sold a hell of a lot of albums. God bless him, man. You know, he did really well. But that's all he did is he took the Broadway, over-the-top drama, you know what I mean, like all that big emotion, that sort of thing, and combined it with some really hot rock and roll players, and that's all it was. Wow. That's how it worked, man. Now we know the rest of the story. 
Paul Harvey. I did not know that. So the guy could lower his humongous ego. Let's face it, he had humongous girth. But his humongous ego and just do whatever was necessary to be on the stage of Broadway, the great white way. Wow, I did not know that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ray Ray in Raritan, New Jersey, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Yeah, Meatloaf, he was okay, you know. I, a lot of people don't know this. He sang, I, I know at least two songs, maybe three, on a Ted Nugent album, Free For All. And it, there's a few good songs on that he sings. Wow, and, uh, he, he sang, wait a minute, he sang with the Motor City Madman, Ted Nugent? Yeah, on the Free For All album. Huh. There's a song, I Love You So I Told You a Lie, and a song called Together. And there might be one more, I'm not sure. But, there, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. So if you're a Meatloaf fan, check that out. Wow. Free For All album, Ted Nugent. Hmm. Well, you know yeah. something, he tells this story. He says when he was up and coming as a uh, rock and roll musician, he was on Sunset Boulevard where a lot of the rock and rollers um, hung out and tried to hook up, you know, with different other musicians and put together bands. And a guy asked him to give him a ride to where the Beach Boys were. Uh, they were living out near the uh, shore. And he oh, said, who was it, Charles Manson? Yes, Charles Manson. I knew it. Yeah. And he had no idea it was Charles Manson. So how did he find out? Later, when he sees the Tate murders and he sees the film and the news, he goes, oh, my God, that guy was in my car. I dropped him off to where the Beach Boys were staying, which was uh, right near Venice and Santa Monica at that time. Yeah, because Manson was hanging with the Beach Boys. He was taking advantage of uh, Brian Wilson back in the day. Yeah, but can you imagine? Here it is, your meatloaf. You're soon to become a superstar of all superstars. A guy asked you for a ride. He said, hey, you're going west in L.A., which is in the direction of Venice and Santa Monica. And he says, yeah. Yeah. And he he drives him over to where the Beach Boys are. And then in like a year or two, he's saying, oh, my God, I know that guy. Hey, but... The songs with Ted Nugent, if you're a R. Meatloaf fan, you got to check them out because they're good. Also, you say you don't like meatloaf, but I make a good meatloaf, man. What I do is I mix the ketchup with the Worcestershire sauce and coat that all around there. Oh, yeah, that's what's up. I hate Worcestershire sauce. That's like putting steak sauce, right? You get a steak, and then you put A1 steak sauce on it. What kind of gavones are you? Why would you put a steak sauce, a Worcestershire sauce, on a steak? Oh, my God. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dave and Comac, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Hey, Curtis. I was never a fan of Meatloaf. I was more or less a fan of... Of Clark Gillies of the Islanders, who recently died. Oh, Clark Gillies died? Today. When when did he die? Today. Wow, do you realize that when I battle Chris Hahn in a few hours from 3 to 5, he's like the biggest Islander fan. He's going to be sitting shiver. And by the way, uh, Mike Bossy has cancer also. Ooh, Mike Bossy. Who is in the net? Smith? Billy Smith was in the net. Billy Smith, and then obviously Nystrom... Uh, and and still and, around Smith, uh, Billy Smith, I think is still around, and Mike Bossy's still around, but he's battling cancer. Wow, 
Listen, man, I hated, hated the Islanders because I was a Ranger fan, and they were all everything for like three years, Stanley Cups. Uh, but uh, you remember when the Islanders would play against the Rangers here at Madison Square Garden, what would our war chant be? Uh, Who did we claim beat his wife? You know, I don't remember that. Ah, well, you see, that's for others. We Ranger fans would be in Madison Square Garden. The Islanders would come in and crush us. But we'd be screaming that a certain Islander beat his wife unmercifully. Because apparently he did have a domestic situation. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. With the passing of Meatloaf. I hated Meatloaf. I hated his music. There was not a piece of music that I would listen to. It encouraged me to become more and more of a listener of talk radio, be honest, because, like, from 74 to 76, that's all you'd hear, top 40, Meatloaf, Meatloaf, Meatloaf. Ooh, oofa. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Askar, calling from New York, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Askar. Yeah, good morning, good morning. Um, I always thought he got his name because he liked meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy. I mean, I thought that's where he got the name from. Well, I mean, that's what, that's one of my favorite dishes when I used to go to a diner on Park Slope. Now, wait uh, a second. Like, what uh, diner in Park Slope did you go to? Was so, Bill de Blasio there? The one on 9th Street. The one on 9th Street and 5th Avenue. Yeah. They make a mean meatloaf of mashed potatoes and gravy right there. You ever ate there before? Hell no. You're not going to catch me in Park Slope. <laughs> are you kidding? Yeah, so, yeah, so, so, that, yeah, that's so the Blasio's I, um, hood. That, those are the people who destroyed our city. They I should choke on their meatloaf in Park Slope. Like the a lot of people like the Blasio, man. They're like Bill. Yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, so, so, how you call, uh, if you were the current mayor this time, um, Will you lift uh, the mandates at this time? Will you assist, uh, negotiate with uh, the Biden and uh, all these federal guys, see if uh, you could lift the mandate? And go eat your freaking meatloaf at the diner. What do you say, Fifth Avenue? At Fifth Avenue, that's starting to approach uh, Carroll Gardens there, moving up a little bit. Meatloaf and Park Slope. What do they have, seeds and stems in it? The only thing those people ever eat uh, marijuana brownies. Oh, yeah, hash browns, too. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And is this the uh, original Steve uh, from Manhattan? Go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan, Steve? Mm-hmm. Pot Van Ducks. Pot Van, that's right. You and got it, like Steve. Bringing- so now you get a chance to spiel since you got the booby prize. And that other guy, that's like bringing a bottle of ketchup into an Italian deli. What is he, kidding or something? That's crazy. And if you're getting close to Carroll Gardens, you're getting close to good food. I'm a Bronx boy, but I've eaten in Carroll Gardens. The food there is good. You know, you, boy, you're missing some good home cooking over there. And uh, the thing with meatloaf, listen, I don't know about 74, 76, I mean, uh, Meatloaf is later, I think, comes on later in there. The Rocky Horror movie was great. I'm from the Bronx. Uh, you drive up a new Rocky Shell on Main Street, there'd be a movie theater. And it would say, when I was a little kid, it would say, 
Rocky Horror at 12 o'clock. I thought Rocky, I thought Rocky, the movie, the boxer, I was like five years old. I, I thought he was fighting somebody in the movie theater at 12 o'clock or something. Then they told the kids in the neighborhood, you know, you could throw stuff in there. And I don't know, the rest of it was like World War Three in there, man. Those kids brought eggs and stuff, and those poor kids were, you know, it was crazy, man. It was a crazy time. See, you, you, had, you had the good memories, uh, the good memories of that time. Now, you know, listen, you know that you and, and Morano broke one of the great city legends by marrying Catwomen. Both of you married Catwomen. You know, that's a city legend. You don't marry a, a Catwoman. You know that, right? No, I didn't know no. that. Rachel definitely is a cat woman. They have three cats. And actually, Nancy, as you know, she has uh, 16 rescue cats. I never knew that. Yeah. No, that, well, it's an urban legend. Are you kidding? Listen, there was another guy trying to call in as Steve from Manhattan tonight. That guy is the guy who might have gone through all the screen and might have stopped him. But there was another dude doing it. It's not unusual to have guys trying to Im- imitate me calling in and everything. No, I know. And but you, you know, you know, Steve, Phil... He can't stop you, man. He's he's JV, man. He's not varsity yet. Yeah, he's sad. But now getting back to those high schools in the Bronx. Now, listen, I, I know it better than anybody. I know Stevenson High School. Those kids in Pelham Bay and the guy called from Country Club, but I don't think he grew up in Country Club. He went to all Hall- hollows unless he scored a zero on the Catholic <laughs> uh, high school test or something. <laughs> what would he be doing in Hollows on the other side? Those kids, right, those kids like University of Avenue, they were maniacs, those kids. I was a little dude. They all had a retreat into, into Throg's Neck, into Pelham Bay, into Morris Park, into Country Club, because they, couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't protect their women and children, you know. And they had to come over, either leave the Bronx or come over that part of the Bronx. And then you had all, then you had Talentine High School, all those psychopaths that went to that high school. Scaling it, now scaling St. Helens, that's the, the, the most unique one of all. Parkchester. No, no, no. That was that's when you come out over the over the uh, Whitestone Bridge, oh. where the Whitestone movie theater would be in the Bronx and confuse Ooh. the hell out of everybody coming from Westchester. Yes, yes, that's but, right. But St. Helena's was the business school. Now you wouldn't dare say what it was. It was a school. Well, this is like in the fifties and sixties. The girls would learn to be secretaries. Now they're really like the office manager. You wouldn't dare. But that's where all the girls went. So all the guys knew you wanted to go to either Scaling or St. Helena's. Because that would pull the hot chicks from Whitestone, from College Point, from Flushing, North Flushing, into into the Bronx. They'd go to St. Helena's or they'd go to Scanlon. And then they opened up Stevenson. They opened up Lehman. They opened up uh, uh, you call it Kennedy High School up in the other part of the Bronx up there. And where did those kids go to high school before those schools opened up? And this is before, way before my time. And, and, and uh, let's not forget, Steve, uh, all the girls would go to St. Catharines right there by the number five train, well, the exit well, of Pelham Parkway. You know your Bronx now, of course, but you know those girls. Those girls originally started out in other high schools, but they were, all right, all the girls got to cover the ears. They were Bad girls, if you know what I mean. Their parents threw them out of the regular high and put them with all the girls in. But a lot of good girls came out of St. Catharines. I think we're going to have to ask the Albanian bad girl, Lydia Serrani, if she went to St. Catharines there. Because that's her nickname, Albanian bad girl. It would make sense, right? would make sense. Right, Bruce? Right, Phil? Act like you're alive back there. Uh <laughs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I can't believe it. Islander, all-time great, 
Clark Gilles, has passed away. Let's go to Augie in the Bronx, uh, where the hawk is talking. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Augie. He's having a conversation with somebody. Hey, Augie. Answer the phone, Augie. Hey, Augie. Fatally fatatu. Hey, what's up? Hey, Augie. Madonna, my. What, what's on your mind, Augie? Hey, what's up, there, kid? Kid, I like that. I'm 67. You call me kid. I like that. Yeah, well, babe, yeah, the babe and the barnstorming babe, he and Homer off Satchel. See, now, that was Steve uh, from Manhattan. You see that, Phil? He got right through you, man. Sliced right through you. Boy, you know, what can I say? You must not have good hearing, Phil. I don't know. It's probably listening to all all those... uh, those nursery rhymes uh, musicals uh, when you were growing up with headphones on, you know, blasting your your, your earlobes off. one 800 Let's quickly go to Carol in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here as the hawk is talking here at WABC, Carol. Hey there, Curtis. Not only is it cold, but the heat's not even coming up in my apartment. So wow. that's why I'm on the phone talking to you because I can't sleep when it's too cold. Anyway, I have two names for you, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Those are the two players on the Mavericks I believe you're speaking about. Yes, that's right. The two uh, mm-hmm. Europeans that I can't pronounce their names that are either from Estonia, Latvia, or Lithuania. Um, Doncic, that's the way he pronounces his name, is from Slovenia, and Porzingis is from Lithuania. Now, how would you know all of that, Carol? Because I'm a basketball fan. I follow, I always look up information about um, the opposing teams that play the Nets and the Knicks. So I know all about the players. I I need to know all about the the opposing players. So now, uh, Carol, since you're a hardwood aficionado, especially at the pro league levels, you see the Brooklyn Nets, they're without without their main gunner now. uh, And so. Kyrie Irving refuses to get vaccinated. You would think now that they desperately need him playing every day in order to make the playoffs, and he's still stubborn enough not to get the vax. That's the way he is. He was born in Australia. (laughs) Mm, He's a stubborn person. I didn't know that. So Kyrie Irving was born in Australia. Yeah, but he grew up here. I think his father was in the military at that time. Maybe that's why he was born there. But Patty Mills is Australian. Ah. Patty Mills is fantastic on the next. He's a very good three-point shooter. Well, you know, you ought to be doing uh, an NBA <laughs> update <laughs> for us here at WABC. You know, no more Marv Albert. You know, he's leaving his teeth marks in some other females across America. <laughs> You could be you could be the female version of Marv Albert. How about more 
like the female version of Russ Stolzberg. Oh, that'd be great, but you have to wear a sweater, Carol. You know, you got to wear a sweater. Right. <laughs> and plus, you'd have to be from Brooklyn. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. We are in New York City, greatest city in the world. And it's still beautiful, John. You know, we go out for dinner all the time and great restaurants. It's still the greatest city in the world. In the greatest city in the world, in the heart of the greatest city of the world. Nah, it's not the greatest city uh, in the world, that's for sure. Got to go to uh, number 20, make that uh, 27. 27 on the musical chart. 27 on the musical chart. Uh, we'll get to it momentarily here. A little glitch. Uh, and then we'll start. We'll recap to you what was the story of the night. I mean, started when Rita Cosby came on to, uh, online at 10 o'clock and then through Dominic Carter at 11. Let's uh, tune it up, Maestro. Give me a little of that music. Yeah. Electronic dance music, my favorite. Even though I'm 67, you can churn and whirl and twirl on the dance floor. Whether you go back to the days of disco and you're doing that hustle and that Patty Duke and that bus stop. And oh yeah, you don't want to forget the bump. This is it. This is a mood elevator. Pump this up. Because we had such bad news earlier tonight. I'm telling you one thing. Our new mayor, Eric Adams, is not sampling the nightlife like he said originally he would do when getting elected mayor back on November 2nd. You may have remembered, he said he loves the nightlife, he wants to sample the nightlife, but the way the shots have been fired in New York City, there's just no time. He's going from vigil to vigil, press conference to press conference. And talking about things that he shouldn't have to talk about because, remember, he said from day one he was going to get busy. And his major platform issue was public safety. The reason he got elected is a lot of people said, ah, Curtis, you're a nice guy and you know all about public safety and you've done a great work with the Guardian Angels for 42 years. But he was a cop for 22 years, transit cop, NYPD cop, white shirt cop. He's going to know how to get public safety in check. Let me tell you something. Three weeks into his administration, 
And there's no doubt things are worse now than they were through the eight years of Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope when it comes to crime. We never had these many problems. And I think part of it is the false bravado. Came out of the box. He said, hey, we're going to impose, you know, stop and frisk. We're going to re-up the anti-crime unit that had been disbanded when de Blasio and city council uh, defunded the police budget by a billion dollars. And he has done none of that. All he's saying is, wait, 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 we're going to, we're going to. Well, guess what? The criminals are not going to wait. And tonight, boy, this should be an eye-opening experience for the brand-new mayor. Take your freaking Ferragamos, those shoes that cost thousands of dollars, those um, tailored suits, designer suits that cost thousands of dollars. Put the... uh, Put the mayor's uh, vinyl jacket on, put on a pair of slacks, comfortable shoes, and start getting busy. And the way you get busy is by implementing some of the things that you promised all the voters that got you into office. Because tonight, earlier tonight, when I came on the air at 10 o'clock and assisted Rita Cosby along with Mike Humbalicic, Rudy Giuliani, sadly, we had a report. That one cop had been killed in the line of duty. Another cop is uh, holding on for dear life at Harlem Hospital. They had responded to a uh, domestic abuse call on 911 on 135th Street. There were three cops. And what happened is they went up to the uh, apartment. The mother was there. They walked through the, uh, the, uh, the connecting area to the bedroom where her son, was actually laid up, was barricading himself in. 45-year-old guy from Allentown, Pennsylvania, LaShawn McNeil, with a rap sheet. He was laid up there with a loaded gun. Cops didn't know that. So they go towards the door. He ever so slightly, according to police reports, opens the door and starts blasting him, killing one cop, maiming another cop to the point where he's hanging on for his dear life. And the third cop, a rookie cop, blasted LaShawn McNeil. We thought originally he was room temperature and dead, but we come to find out that he has survived. (sighs) There have been domestic calls there before at the same location, at the same address in August of 2021, and apparently in years before, involving the same participants. What struck me is you had a police commissioner who's not ready for prime time. She was the head of the detectives unit of the Nassau County Police Department in charge of a few hundred uh, detectives. Now she's in charge of a department that numbers 35,000. And she's on a lear- learning curve. She, just, she, she hasn't grasped the job yet. The person who's really calling the shots running the police department is Phil Banks. He's the deputy mayor of public safety, but he's tainted. He's constantly having to explain some of the corruption he was involved in years and years ago when he left the department. And then actually, Eric Adams, he's trying to run the police department because he's doing that through his police commissioner, who just is not ready for prime time. And it's just not enough, man. He's got to beef up. He's got to beef up the, uh, the leadership. They can go out into the various precincts and raise everybody's spirits, uh, get them motivated, because you can see their motivation is just not there. At Harlem Hospital tonight, you had 100 uniformed police officers who were going up and down the stairs, 
Uh, Eric Adams came in with the police commissioner he has just appointed and Patty Lynch of the PBA. And they all pledged solidarity. They all said they're going to work together. And they had some of the elected officials there. Richardson, the lieutenant governor to uh, uh, Governor Holcomb. I call her Holcomb because she's nonsense. This guy is no bail. Defense criminals versus cops. What was he doing there? You had Tish James, the state attorney general. She was there, and she had issued a press release after her departure that said that her office was actually going to possibly assert jurisdiction in this matter if Alvin Bragg didn't do what he was supposed to do and go for the max. We'll see, because Alvin Bragg has said on previous occasions that he would not charge uh, murder beyond uh, 20 years, meaning he could hit you with a murder charge. You get 20, the max, if found guilty. And let's face it, if you did state time, 20 years with good time turns into 16. That is unacceptable. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jose, who's holding on from the Bronx. The Hawk is talking out there. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jose. Yes, hello, Jose. See, who's Jose talking to? Who do we think he's talking to? Phil, did he have a conversation with you? I suspect it might be a recurring caller with many cell phones and many names. Ah, and he just hasn't caught up to that cell phone, right? Realizing that he's on. It's showtime. Time to break a leg here. How do you like that? Now, we can hear what's going on in the back. And I'm sure, unless he's falling asleep, and that would be the absolute worst thing for me if if a caller or a listener fell asleep, right? It's like they're taking Somonix instead of drinking Red Bull. But we're going to have to say sayonara, Jose in the Bronx. Urion Dugor. Try to figure out what that means in Bades. Our number is one 800 848 9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. I want to give you a little precursor to what's going to be happening tomorrow when I come back on board from 2 to 4. That's right, 2 to 4 in the afternoon. Naturally, I'm going to give you more details on the cop killing, the cop shooting, and what became of this mutt and skell who clearly, uh, if I had my truthers, would be charged with a death penalty charge, and if found guilty, would be shipped up to Ossining, a.k.a. Sing Sing, right there, the prison that Amtrak goes right through the tracks, and they'd have to fire up old Sparky and put him in the electric chair. But that's not going to happen. They've done away uh, with the death penalty. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. But I want to listen, because tomorrow we're going into this deep. Red Shiny gets a pass from the NBA. The NBA does not care about slavery, does not care about concentration camps, does not care, period, because it's, um, it's interfering with their bottom line, with the millions and millions of dollars that they get in terms of their product endorsements uh, in Red China, which has the largest NBA fan base in the world. Listen to the uh, co-owner of the San Francisco Warriors describing how he couldn't give Jack Dilly squat any interest at all in the kind of treatment that the Uyghurs, who are the Muslims in Western China, have received. They've been killed. Uh, They've had their body parts sold. They have been experimented on. They have been put in the concentration camps, the gulag. 
They have had to work as slaves to create products. We all know this. We all know this and nothing gets done. Nobody cares, about, again? No, 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 nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You, you bring it up because you really what? care. And I think what that's nice that cares? you care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you a very care? hard... Wait, wait, I'm you're saying you, you very, personally don't care? I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth, okay? Of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. Okay? Oh, of all the things that I care about, it is below my line. Disappointing. Wow. I mean, so callous and indifferent. And we know a lot of Americans feel that way. And especially when it comes to the red Chinese, everything is so clear cut, so concise. It's not like it used to be uh, at the beginning of the uh, Holocaust when they had a meeting, the Nazis who were assembled to put together the final solution, I think in 1941 in Swansea. And they determined that just killing thousands and thousands in concentration camps was not good enough. They had to kill millions And they came up with a way to do it. And we had heard rumors and innuendos of what was taking place in Germany and Poland and some of the other nearby countries where concentration camps had been set up. But we chose to do nothing. And now we're going to repeat this madness simply because it's Red China that creates so many of our products, our affordable products. Let's go to Jeff, who's calling from Connecticut, where the hawk is talking right here at WABC, Jeff. Hey, Curtis, just a long-time listener. I've been listening to you for years. I've been going into work, and I just wanted to say, you know, you crack me up. Here it is early in the morning. I'm just laughing my ass off. But uh, I just wanted to say, you know, she listened to you with uh, Jet Said Julia. Have you heard from her? What's she up to? Um, well, she's left WABC. She's no longer broadcasting from here. But let me ask you, Jeff. Uh, do you listen to The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano five mornings a week? I haven't heard that yet, but I've been listening to you uh, talking about it, and I'm going to try. Yes, I've heard the, the questions with Sid. And, uh, please, please, Jeff, stuff, you, but... you and other listeners, I want you to write out, Frank. I can't listen every early morning. I listen as much as I can. You can always get it on a podcast, wabcradio.com, but please. Listen to Frank, write him out, and then report to me directly, please. Make a promise. You're going to listen to all four hours of Frank Morano, Monday through Friday, from 1 in the morning to 5 in the morning. That's 20 hours a week. I need you to write him out. I need you to drop time to me, send me emails, text me, socially network me. I need to stay ahead of the curve with him. And then, well, in just a few hours, 2 to 4, guess who's back? with more details, unfortunately, of the police shooting and killing up in Harlem. And hopefully that mutton scale passes straight to hell without an asbestos suit. But then again, he'll probably live. And unfortunately, both police officers will die. One is already passed to the hereafter. And then I come back and do it all over again from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. Then I battle the progressive aggressive uh, from 3 to 5 on Sunday and finish it up from 9 to 1 before I pass over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to the Mangaluch, uh, the Mameluke, Frank Morano.